I speak too quickly. So if you don't understand anything, just keep it to yourself and pretend you did. I'd be very, very careful who you talk to about that, because the person who wrote that is dangerous. All right, we are <clears throat> back in the mobile podcast studio in, uh, on lovely Bainbridge Island. Mr. Joe Holmes is back working with this really savage-looking Graston technique tool <laughs> <clears throat> on a leg that he claims is unsupple, <laughs> which I don't really know what that means. <clears throat> and... Um, Hey, today we're going to talk... Wait, actually, here's how I wanted to start it. Welcome back to another episode of Talking About Tire Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, victory. Okay. Um, and now we now that, that joke's stated and my ears are kind of blown because <laughs> the level's a bit mm, high. Uh, Heidi, welcome. Hello. Finally. Finally. It's nice to see you. And it was really fun to go for a bike ride today. On the, is it the little peninsula or the lesser peninsula or? I'm going to defer to the the oh. individual that's actually from here. Uh, let's call it the little peninsula the little for peninsula. now. Yeah. yeah. I don't okay. want to offend anyone. Yeah. Oh, and, and, <laughs> and, and why not? And why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we... I don't know. As long as we offend all equally. Right. Then yes. Yes. That, and that does, I don't know, seem to happen. <laughs> yes, the Kits Kitsap Peninsula. Okay. Not to be confused with. We, we only went over a small bridge, not the big bridge. Oh, we would have had to cross a canal, right? Correct. 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 Yes. That's, man. On a floating... Yeah. floating bridge yeah right by the submarine base yes and if we were which rendered all bomb shelters in the city of seattle in the 60s and 70s kind of useless ah. right because that would have been i mean i don't know i just remember like in our basement boxes and boxes and boxes of textured vegetable protein and like five gallon jugs of water and that kind of stuff and i'm just like dad you know that because boeing and because bangor um we're on the we're first we're on the top of the list i think or something like they're coming in hot <laughs> Did you and do a lot of duck and cover? I did, yeah. I was, in, I was just about to say, and me getting under my desk at school ain't really. <laughs> it's kind of like the tornado drills in Ohio where you go into the hallway and then put a book over the back of your neck. Because that will definitely work. It'll definitely help. Well, yeah. No shit. Oh, yeah. Tornado drills. That's a thing. <laughs> that um, bothers me. <laughs> actually yeah the, uh, um i'd never really spent any time in the midwest and the uh when i left the first day i got there on um it must have been the batman versus superman job i'd come for or no it was man of steel i got uh i'd been pasadena or whatever for three months it was glorious and then ended up in naperville oh uh, just outside of chicago mm-hmm and uh, I 
the car takes me to the, you know, this apartment complex where I'm staying. And I'm like, man, the sky looks really weird. And there must be a lot of crime around here because I hear a lot of sirens. And then everyone is out on the balconies of their apartments, like all looking at the sky, like there's a fucking alien landing <laughs> about to happen or something. And then that was, um, yeah, that was a bit much for me. I didn't, you know, it didn't, you know, there were tornadoes. The, that's what the sirens apparently were about. Yep. Yeah. And they do sound a little bit different than Oh yeah. the other types of sirens. It's really fun when they test them as they do periodically uh every wednesday at noon yes <laughs> that would be like the air raid sirens that uh that happened i mean when i was when i grew up here in seattle i yeah. remember that mm. yeah all right Mike Ryan. yeah we're gonna t- i guess that's what we're gonna talk about and you know the fact that i mean when i was um, so Heidi, you're racing for rally right now. Yes. And actually managed to spend three months in Europe this summer, despite the COVIDs. Yeah. Despite, uh, the craziness <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> ensuing all over the world. Which is, it's, I find it is actually pretty remarkable, um, for, to re- to realize that there's, uh, the bike racing was going on. Like I thought it was, I thought every, all sport was kind of shut down or, you know, or would have cardboard cutouts, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. stands, which is just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <this spot. laughs> I'm so happy you got to, to see that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew it was happening or I'd heard and that sort of thing, but to see it in real life it's pretty ridiculous and <laughs> um well because we, we should get we'll get to that a little bit later but uh, there was a point sometime i don't know it was the wrong month for it but our our mutual friend friend joe um ben treasure said hey did you see milan san remo today and i'm like well like a rerun <laughs> you know or something he goes no no Say there's what? <laughs> bike, there's bike race and and it completely blew my mind and it was it seemed pretty remarkable that um, races were going were happening, and they weren't, you know, super spreader events. Mm-hmm. Except maybe the Giro. The Giro. Except <laughs> maybe the Giro. <laughs> and one could argue, uh, congregating in Nice for the start of the tour was. Uh, Suspect. Yeah, a little suspect. It let's just say it became a hot spot while we were there. Okay. And we quickly left. (laughs) So, um, everyone in your team is from the U.S. Um, No, we have a mixture of Canadians and Americans, and then um, this year. We picked up Chloe Hosking, who is Australian, and she was, um, for both the men's and the women's teams, she was the first non-North American uh, to be signed to the team, so. They were locked down pretty hard in Australia. Yeah. So. She had a really interesting time leaving Australia. Uh, 
that story also involves an F1 driver. <laughs> it's actually a pretty incredible story. <laughs> it's an amazing story. <laughs> well, we're telling the story. I mean, I don't know if you'd be speaking out of turn or anything, but... Uh... Well, Chloe, I hope you don't mind me sharing this story. But anyway. Um, We've only got five listeners now. So. Exactly. <laughs> but that's up from four, and that's cool. <laughs> um, well, okay. So our team was um, scheduled to race La Course by the, the Tour de France. Yeah. Which, um, so that is a... It's I, a one-day... Okay. They gave us one day. Uh, <laughs> the okay, I'm sure there was some there's some comments about that oh, as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the yeah the 2020 edition of La Course by the Tour de France uh, was a one day race um, that took place on the same day as the men's start of the whole tour de france oh okay um so we were oh so that's a lot of teams and admin and people congregating in one in place one place yeah it was pretty wild yeah oh um but so chloe chloe was going to travel from australia into a country that had uh no restrictions on mm -hmm. australians traveling um and no quarantine requirements and all that stuff right okay um the rest of us traveling over in the meantime, we're hanging out in a house in the United Kingdom for two weeks. Uh, but Chloe uh, figured out that she could fly into Slovenia. And when she got there, uh, the customs agent was like, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, I'm allowed to be here, am I not? And they said, well, you should have checked to, you know, you should have checked the requirements two days ago because everything's changed now and you can't be here anymore. Uh, like you can, you can either find a place to do two weeks of quarantine or you can, or you have 12 hours to find a flight and leave this country. To stay in the, you got 12 hours in the transit lounge and then you're, yeah. oh boy. Um, so... Yeah, so, you know, everything <laughs> everything can change pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, that was our, our first sort of lesson there. But, um, so she's trying to figure out where she can go. Um, she figures out she can actually fly directly into Nice, which is where we were going to go anyway. Yeah. And um, she's thinking, like, okay, who can I call in Nice that I know or that's near Nice? And it just so happens that... Um, the second Mercedes, uh, team Mercedes F1, I'm going to say that so wrong and I'm very sorry. I think you say pilot, right? Is it F1 pilot or are you a driver? He's a driver. F1 driver, I think. Yeah. Valtteri okay. Bottas. It's Valtteri Bottas. Yeah. Okay. The not just any F1 driver. Yeah. Not just any F1 and driver. And not just any F1 team. Yeah. <laughs> he races for Mercedes Petronas. Yes. <laughs> exactly. His teammate is Lewis Hamilton, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, I mean, only number two in the world, I guess. Okay. Hang on one sec, Joe. We're going to adjust your mic. 
I apologize for the interruption. <laughs> not just any F1 driver. Yeah. <laughs> not just any F1 driver. Um, handsome. Anyway. Is he a handsome fellow? He's, I guess he's all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's Finnish. Um, you know, so there's the accent going for him. Oh. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> so he, oh, he is dating uh, Tiffany Cromwell, who's also an Australian um, pro on the Canyon SRAM women's team. And they live in Monaco, yeah. naturally. And so Chloe calls Tiffany up out of the blue and says, hey, uh, I need some help. And I need, I need a place to go. Um, can you potentially help me out? And on the phone, um, Chloe hears uh, Valtteri in the background say, well, does she need the apartment or does she want the house? And it's <laughs> like, um, what? <laughs> and they're like, well, we're in the UK right now at Silverstone racing. Um, you can have, you can have the house. So, oh, and do you want us to send a driver to pick you up? Because we can, we can send a driver to the airport. Because that's also something we could do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no worries. So, sure. Okay. Yeah. Send your driver. Come pick me up. So, she flies into Nice, uh, leaves Slovenia, and, you know, there's like, as you can imagine, the guy, he's like holding the Miss Hosking sign. Yeah. Um, Drive up this like windy, you know, twisty road up to this villa in Monaco, and she has this like amazing house to herself for like five days. Um, just very, you know, very casual. Yeah. Um, and then I think she ends up picking them up from the airport. She she ends up getting a hold of a rally team car mm -hmm. while she's there, and. Um, so Tiffany and Valtteri fly back from the UK. She goes and picks them up. And um, also Giovinacci, I think. Oh too, yeah, yeah, right? that's right. Also a F1 driver. Yeah, there was a, there was another F1 driver <laughs> in the car. And um and I think she she didn't know who he was and they were asking they were talking about cycling and uh and he asked Chloe like, "Oh, well, are you fast?" And Chloe is, is like one of the best women sprinters like in the world. She's phenomenal. She's like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm fast. Uh, and, and she's like, well, what do you do? And he's like, oh, well, I drive. And she's like, well, are you any good? <laughs> are you fast? Are, are you, you fast? <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's she ended up saying something like, well, I'm sure there's something you're good at. <laughs> um, which, Perfect. Oh, yeah, she's great. Um, kind of the best part of the story is that the rally team car uh, was driven by Valtteri at one point down some like really twisty, you know, mountainous driveway. Yeah. Nice. Um, uh, so that so that Valtteri and Tiffany could go have lunch on like their yacht, and they they had asked Chloe to go and drive them 
down mm. to Monaco. Um, uh -huh. But she was like, hell no, I'm, I'm not driving. Like, you're driving. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do. That's not my job. If, if anybody should be driving, it seems, yeah. 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 And I think he took the liberty of having some fun on the way down the hill. What wasn't, wasn't it the, uh, am I getting the F1 treatment? Yes. <laughs> am I getting, am I getting the F1 treatment? Yeah, a little, a little bit. <laughs> and, or is this it, how you normally drive? <laughs> ah, it's it probably like what, a Skoda? Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> Just your, your classic, uh, yeah. Euro team car. Yeah. Skoda situation. <laughs> so funny. So do you, is there a pretty big infrastructure for the team over there? Um, it's, it's pretty decent. I mean, obviously the European teams have, have more just because they're. Yeah. Know. They've accumulated more over time or yeah. they've been around for a yeah. longer time or whatever. Sure. Um, and they don't have to spend so much money on traveling, like, yeah, you know, to get to the cross Atlantic. Yeah, uh, yeah, all the time. yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, also, like, yeah, we can save these resources because we don't have to yeah. drive everywhere we race. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's it's actually a pretty good setup. Um, the team has a service course in Girona, Spain, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, they've got like the full entourage of mechanics trucks and several team cars and nice. you know passenger vans uh they do have a team bus that usually the women's team doesn't get to use okay. uh, but we did get to use it once this year for the tour of flanders which was pretty exciting wow. and we would have we would have gotten to use the bus for Paris roubaix had it happened but why why did roubaix you know, both, I guess, men's and women's versions. Um, why was that canceled and some of those other races were permitted to be held? Um, I think because the COVID cases were yeah. starting to go up in France. And uh, I think France did a, like, uh, I don't know, lockdown kind of thing? or They, yeah, they put in another... Um, round of restrictions okay. around Roubaix and Lille. Okay. And, uh, and at that point, Belgium, Belgium and the Netherlands were doing odd, they were doing odd things. Like the Netherlands was cracking down and adding more restrictions, whereas Belgium was actually lifting restrictions, but both countries' cases were getting worse. Okay. Um, so it was a little bit strange, but then uh, it took a week or so for Belgium to like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll start, we'll start putting more restrictions in place. But meanwhile, like the race organizations were already taking like pretty big steps to keep everybody oh, yeah. separated. And um, yeah, having no spectators at all for the, like, it was my first tour of Flanders, so I'm, I obviously hadn't had the experience of like the full, you know, yeah, crowd insanity. Twenty deep, yeah, or whatever um, on some of the steeper climbs. I'm guessing. Yeah, but it it was pretty eerie to to be out there and like just have it be, for the most part, be silent. 
Yeah. Besides that, the like helicopter, you know, whirring above you or yeah, yeah squealing disc brakes. <laughs> 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 well, um, so the first race was the La Course. Yeah. And then did you? And then a bunch. What else did you race during the sort of three months? Um, so we had La Course at the end of August, and then from there we went to the Ardèche region of France mm-hmm. um, and raced, it's a very long name, but it's the Tour of Ardèche basically. Okay. Um, seven day women's race. Um, arguably the second hardest women's stage race on the calendar um, underneath the Giro Rosa, which is okay. like yeah. the, the women's, you know, the women's Giro, like 10 days. This year it was nine days. Um, but it's incredibly mountainous and in Ardèche. In yeah. Ardèche, yeah. like pretty long stages. Um, and what's actually almost the hardest part about it is the transfers, like driving to and from the start and finish of every day is like. There's no straightforward way of getting anywhere in that region, and so you have to yeah. be in a car for another like two and a half to three hours before and after. Um, so you're like waking up at like seven every morning, driving for two to three hours to the start, racing for four hours, getting back in the car, and then driving another two and a half hours back. Were all the teams doing that, or was that just something that like the 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 bad luck of the draw for you guys as far as like where they put you up or or um well, for that race in particular they they use the um there's like this family campsite <laughs> trailer right. park sort of situation um and it's it's actually not that bad um it's you know, next to a little river. It's very cute, very vacation-like. Um, but usually all the teams stay there. I think one or two didn't. They just stayed at like a hotel nearby. But they usually just use this one campsite as like the base for the whole week. Um, so there's no moving around like you would have it, you know. Right, yeah, you wouldn't have, you don't have to a grand the whole tour group or whatever. To a hotel at the start or finish of the next stage or something. Yeah. It's all from that one spot. Um, and you said, uh, th- so it's a campsite, but it's. There are it, like little trailers that have, okay. you know, space for three people comfortably. Okay. Four people really uncomfortably. All right, so you had five. I think probably due to people just not vacationing so much, we actually had uh, one more trailer than we would normally have. Oh, so nice. We had, you know, got to spread out a little bit, which was nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One of those things about racing where you see this, I mean, like I've only seen at, at the pro tour level via the, internet or tv or whatever um but it does seem that like the te- those uh, teams with larger budgets seem to stay in nicer places mm-hmm. yes and teams with you know your pro conti team or somebody who gets the wild card invite to the thing and then they don't really have a budget and then the people are maybe not maybe the racers are not sleeping as well i guess it would be the or eating as well I no guess, but they're definitely not traveling 
traveling around with their own mattresses to sleep on. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've... But the, so the UCI, the race organization. Oh, wait, what was Brailsford's thing? Pillows, I think. Well, there was that, but, and then individual washing machines for every, you know, they weren't mixing up everybody's shorts and stuff in the same washing machine. No, but, it, but uh, what was the whole concept of um, micro something? Marginal or, gains. Marginal, marginal gains. gains. There we marginal go. So, gains. so driving around with your own mattress is a marginal gain. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> Seems pretty, pretty big in a way. <laughs> anyway, so for Ardesh, was that also like eerily silent? Um, no, actually. So a few races did a really good job of rider safety, um, COVID protocols and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Ardesh, because it's not, it's not like a world tour sanctioned race. It's the category, um, it's a 2.1, 2. 2. 2. Yeah. which puts it a little bit lower on like the ranking of, um, okay. how, how would I say it? It's a ranking system. A so ranking every, system. every, yeah. the, it's a UCI race and they have a ranking system. If it's, uh, two before the decimal, that indicates a stage race or, and a one is a one day race. Okay. So, and they'll have like 2.8 HC, which is an or category. So like the tour, the Giro, okay. races like that. Um, and then 2.1s are uh, just below that. Um, the 2.1s, at least for men's teams, I'm not 100% sure uh, on the, uh, with women's programs, but a 2.1, you have to be, uh, a registered UCI team, so Continental, Pro Continental, or World Tour. Uh, if it's a, at same with the 1.1 for one day. Okay. And then if it's a 2.2 or 1.2, um, then potentially uh, amateur teams could participate. Okay. Um, so that's so kind of like how that ranking system when goes. Recently, like in the, in the recent, in the last five years, what has the tour of Utah been? Uh, 2.1. I think 2.1. Yeah, it's yeah. a 2.1. Okay. Yeah. So when we were there, when you and I met, that was it was a 2.2 at that time. Okay. Which is why Hoggins was got, able... Got an invitation yes. for it. Okay. Correct. Or the Utah All-Stars or Canyon, whatever they called it also yeah. was the other... Yep. Uh, I think amateur team that was... Or... How'd you get started in all this, Heidi? How did I get started? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I know that <laughs> you grew up on the island. I grew up on the, yes. <laughs> which? Here on the island. The island. Capital but, T, capital I. Which, which he, <laughs> we, he did see the, uh, your WhatsApp profile picture slash the iconic the creepiest frog, frog that you've <laughs> the, ever the creepiest seen. frog yeah and and when we rode by and i took a picture of it it was so kind of dark at that point it's like blurry <laughs> like, okay that's even better that's about right even better <laughs> i've heard the frog has been uh in costume at various times it has some uniquely questionable costumes yeah uh that's <laughs> we'll just leave it at that we'll just leave it at that Oh, I mean, How long has Frog Rock been a thing here? For as long, I mean, as long as you can it's remember. It's been here 
Uh, as long as I've been alive, that's for sure. And I'm 25, so I'm not that old, but still. Oh, Bainbridge. Oh, Bainbridge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so somehow you were a child and you were outside doing something and this like guy rode by on his bike not wearing a helmet and he waved and he seemed nice and i don't just and i was like oh you must know a thing or two <laughs> no you're not wearing a helmet you oh, must you're be not, you're not wearing you must a helmet. Be serious <laughs> um no but well actually my my parents are both um like pretty avid cyclists or at least have been and um and i yeah grew just grew up in a pretty active family in general and okay. my my dad used to race a little bit in college um at indiana university and uh my mom i can't remember it has your did your dad do the little 500 he didn't what? he didn't do the little 500 okay um, but he had friends who raced the little 500. Okay. He was a, uh, he was an extra in breaking away. Nice. Uh, for, yeah. the little five, for the little 500 scenes, like on the Indiana University campus. Awesome. Um, so he's somewhere in the stands <laughs> right. in that movie, oh, which is pretty cool. Not a cardboard cutout. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so then when my parents were raising us here. My dad would commute on his bike to Bremerton and work in the ER in Bremerton. And, um, and was always just like going out on my mountain biking trips and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, and I did the Chili Hilly when I was nine years old. Nine? On a mountain bike. That's, that's younger than when I did it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we were trying to, Joe and I were trying to figure that out. He's like, how old were you? And I, I was like, I was for sure. I think I was 14. Nice. Yeah. Did, how many hills did you walk up? Uh, n I don't believe any. Oh, okay. Well, then you did a lot better than I did. Um, I was riding a steel Huffy, 10-speed. <laughs> 10-speed? Awesome. Um, yeah. It had 10. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it had five gears in the back and two in the front. Makes ten, right? Mm -hmm. Lost I knew. Lost I checked. <laughs> Lost, yeah, I, I haven't checked. changed that yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was heavy, I recall. Yeah. But myself and uh, one or two of my neighbor kids from the around. I mean, I grew up in Seattle in the Laurelhurst area. Um, wanted those kids wanted to do it. Chris for sure. Davies wanted to do it, and then. Um, <laughs> We came over once and rode a little bit of it, like training. You had training camp. You had training camp. You had training. <laughs> no, I. I don't know if we trained for it or we just rode our bikes. Right. And then uh, I don't think there was any training, but I wanted to know because I was like, because it had a bad reputation. Like it was hard. Well, it's. It's hard as fuck, and also, <laughs> um, and it's always and it's at the end of February, and it's pouring down rain or snowing. That yes, or, and it's like guaranteed to be under forty degrees at any point. Yeah. So, it's at a horrible time of the year. Um, I I think I've done it once 
in the dry. Okay. And I've done it a few times now. But so after, so you did it as a nine-year-old. Yeah. So so I did it when I was nine. Um, and the the backstory <laughs> of that is um, sort of another reason, like why cycling is kind of became a big part of my life. And that was my my dad was hit by a drunk driver on his bike uh, when I in two thousand four. Um, and Whoa. ended up with a spinal cord injury and spent four months in the hospital. And, um, so, Whoa. yeah, so that was heavy, but he is a very determined, hardworking individual and was really motivated to, um, get back on his bike. A. Um, he's numb from the waist down, so he's not paralyzed, but he can, um, he just has no feeling from, okay. from the waist down and, uh, which is considered an incomplete quadriplegic. So anyway, he's like, he was super determined to get back on his bike. And, um, the year that I did the chili hilly, he was getting on a, um, recumbent tandem with his, uh, with his physical therapist, Keith, and, um, and was doing the chili hilly again. So I decided to, to do it. Not with him because we were both going at very different speeds, I'm, I'm, <laughs> but I'm guessing, I yeah. think I was, I actually was a lot slower. <laughs> um, it took me probably six hours to do Whoa. like 33 miles. <laughs> <laughs> When, and I did it with my friend at the time who, I mean, two nine-year-old girls with like one adult supervisor <laughs> that her dad was really patient. I will just say that. Okay. Um, yeah. So my dad was, was riding it, uh, with his recumbent tandem and then myself and my friend Jacqueline were somewhere else on the island at the same time. And somewhere walking up Peterson somewhere Hill. Somewhere walking up Baker Peterson Hill. Hill. Or Toe Jam. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but we actually, uh, we did end up finding each other at one point and took a, took a great picture. Nice. My facial expression um, doesn't allude to it being fun, but... Uh, <laughs> It's a great picture. I've seen it. <laughs> it looks like I just spent six hours walking up a hill, dragging yeah. my bike. But nice. Um, nice. But I was. It was pretty cool. Uh, that's so that's how it all started. <laughs> was, with with the hiatus in between. So. Was there? Um, I mean, was it organized junior race? Like, how young do you need? How old do you have to be to participate in, should there even be junior race? I mean, I don't even know. Like, I, I believe I, it's 10. Okay. There's one guy in this room that should know this. It's yes. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, junior national team help. Yeah. I don't know. Associate. Associate. There Associate. we go. Junior okay. national yeah. team coach. Yeah. Uh, I believe they start at 10 now. Okay. It was 12. Um, but I believe it's 10 is, is when you can start now. Um, but unfortunately, uh, around here, as in other areas of the country, there just isn't a whole lot of junior racing, period. Yeah. Which is kind of unfortunate. So how does that then, like, what do you do as a 
junior aged cyclist if you can't race to become a racer well do you just wait you're allowed to race uh your category so juniors can race with adults you know, if, if you start out as a cat four, you oh, can do I've the... had my ass kicked by like a very young kid. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, I guess an adult categorized race. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's, that's what most kids do. Um, because yeah, there just aren't a lot of separate junior events anymore. Yeah. At least here in the U S for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say there's, there's going or there had been more programs that existed for like junior boys, junior women's teams, I guess, and races weren't as. Definitely not back then. Definitely not back then. Yeah, weren't as common. A lot more common now. But but. And you, you started racing collegiately, right? Yeah. So I didn't. So that's when you. I didn't even start. I didn't start racing bikes at all until I was uh, a junior in college. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. And and was and that was here. And that was here. I went to school at Seattle University, and mm-hmm. I. What do you say? Are you a good Catholic? You know, <laughs> it's hilarious because I, I, I like telling people that. So, like, I grew up. Yeah, I are you a recovering Catholic? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, my my family is. Presbyterian, like okay. I have a you know religious background, but I like to tell people that I like started giving up on organized religion when I went to a Jesuit Catholic school. Um, <laughs> you got cured. I got cured. <laughs> but I actually I love the Jesuits. I think they're great because they actually like force you to wrestle and question everything that you learn. Oh yeah, um, and they could they could care less if you end up rejecting religion or not like as long anyway. as it, as long as it was a process of inquiry that led to that decision yeah exactly yeah, yeah. an examination uh yeah. how's your latin not good okay I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> non-existent see had you you know had you studied latin then when you went to europe you could have handled you know some of those romance languages like that uh, yeah yeah yeah, not so much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway. And I so guess. was there a racing program at the university or was it? There There was a very small collegiate cycling team mm-hmm. that was started by my friend Max, um, who was a couple years, couple years older. Um, and... But rewinding a little bit, um, I studied abroad in Salzburg, Austria, my sophomore year of college. Okay. Um, Became friends with some of the people on the collegiate cycling team and then quickly left and spent the rest of the year in Austria. So I never actually like rode or raced that year at all. Um, But I had a bike that I was using that I got when I was 13 and my parents came to visit me in Salzburg and they were like, hey, we brought your bike for you. I was like, oh, cool. Great. <laughs> this is actually a really amazing way to explore the world. And, it's um, so cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and I would say the, 
study abroad program that I was on had a mixture of like your sort of uh, stereotypical American students who want to study abroad so they can drink and um, say that they've studied abroad, but not actually give a shit about what they're uh, yeah, okay. actually doing. Mm -hmm. It was a mixture of those kinds of people and, um, and then the other people that I became friends with who actually was, you know, interested in German and learning German and learning about Austrian culture and that kind of thing. Um, but I... You could have ended up in a... A less beautiful place. Yeah, I really, I really could have. <laughs> um, not the worst place to uh, discover a passion in your life, I guess. Yeah. Um, and me, I am in general kind of a floater in a way, like in the sense that I don't have, I never grew up with like a specific friend group or like. Okay, yeah you know, like the clicky kind of situations. I was, I kind of knew everybody enjoyed spending time with everybody. I had a lot of friends, but no one, like I had maybe one or two best friends growing up. Um, and so in that study abroad program, I was like connected with some people, but really just loved spending my time like outside on my bike. Nice. Um, and I lived in a house with um, an Austrian woman named Krista Watson, who had a strangely Australian last name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I had a, like, I was in a host family situation, um, which made the experience pretty cool. Oh yeah. Uh, and then came home from that and was like, okay, um, I'll try racing cyclocross. And my friend Max, who started the Seattle U team, was like, hey, this might be something you would enjoy doing. You should come along and... Um, get muddy. Get muddy. Wear a sweater vest. Put a tie on. Drink some beer. And hand me a beer while I'm racing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That sounds <laughs> like a fantastic idea. It's funny, because here it's... Um... I mean, in the Northwest, it's like, it's, it, it feels, well. It's a big thing here. But it's m more similar in environmental conditions to what I imagine it, you know, being like in, it, it, you know, in Belgium, in Flanders, in the yeah. UK, in like places where it's just miserable yeah. that particular time of year. I mean, what better time of year to have um, that sort of racing um and the northwest has produced some pretty good cross racers oh i don't doubt it as well yeah. i mean we have we have what we call dirt crits <laughs> in uh in utah for the cyclocross series it's like it's it's not yet winter by the time it happens and so it's just like sometimes it's hard packed dirt or grass or something and like uh, yeah yeah no, you you definitely get like mud covered head to toe, freezing. You know. Yeah. It's like it's you're you're doing the chilly hilly in a in compact <laughs> yeah. on the, on the dirt. Yes, yeah. not on uh, tarmac. <laughs> and you're doing it as hard as you can for an hour. Yeah. Um, in the mud. 
So it's a lot of fun. Which is, uh, is there a race called Fort Lewis or around Fort Lewis? I mean, what's the, the what's Stellacom. There we go. Yeah. That has Which a lot is, of stairs, right? You, I think there was some crazy run. I remember when, so there was a girl that I trained um, from Salt Lake and she came up here for a, a, a weekend series, like two different races, as I recall. One of them had a, like mm. some serious set of flight of stairs every lap. Okay. Like big something. I can't remember. I Do you know care. about huh. when that was? Roughly? Uh, what about 2009-2010 time frame, I'm guessing? Okay. Um, uh, I mean, it's space. possible. It's <laughs> Even though I so trained Fort, one Fort of... Stillicum, right? Yep. Okay. There's also... For sure there was... For sure she did that race. Okay. Yeah. And which is where they had Cyclocross Nationals last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So... Yeah. Anyway. Collegiate... Cyclocross. Yeah, collegiate cyclocross. And you enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed it. Nice. I was really bad at it. I had like a 30-pound steel touring bike that I put some knobby tires on and, um, you know, suffered suffered with that for a little while. And then, um, yeah, and then finally got to like March when road racing was going to start. So I started out there. And... Uh, the trajectory at th- from that point uh, was pretty fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I ended up doing I ended up doing well enough to upgrade to like the collegiate A category, um, and and that was like halfway through the season. And the collegiate season goes from March until the end of May, so it's really short. Whoa. There are six yeah. six race weekends, um, and I was at the time one of two women on the Seattle U team. I mean, our whole team was like five or six people, um, but uh, yeah. So I ended up doing well enough um, to qualify for nationals, and then I went to nationals in North Carolina and ended up getting third in the road race and in the crit. And so I won the Omnium National Championship. Um, First year out of the gate. Yeah. Heidi and then, a <laughs> uh, <laughs> had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> Probably helpful. It you know, actually, in some cases. You know, it was. It was very helpful that I didn't know. Because I was like, okay, I'm just going to follow it, these it, people as long yeah. as I possibly can. And then I think I'm going to sprint at the end of it. And that's so like, if you don't you know. know, you can't overthink. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Exactly. <laughs> follow these people as long as I can. And I think I'm going to sprint at the end. Okay. <laughs> it's a pretty good strategy, it seems. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So then... Um, I mean, how I ended up working with Joe is really like the um, the end of that summer. I was invited to Colorado Springs um, by USA Cycling to do a it was like a women's talent ID camp. Okay. Um, yeah. And because USA at that point they were looking to expand the women's program, like put more yeah. emphasis. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, they don't really do those talent ID camps anymore. Let's let's uh, not go down. But that let's hole. no let's <laughs> not go down that road yet. Um, or, or we can. Or but. we can. <laughs> might, maybe a few beers but later. Back to your yeah. story. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, there was another uh, another younger woman who is there from Seattle, who I recognized from doing a few crits uh, in Seattle after collegiate racing ended. And Joe coached her and, you know, coaching was one of the topics that came up at this camp. And I was like, oh, maybe I should Maybe I should have one. That. Maybe I should, because then maybe I could overthink things or develop yeah. a, a more coherent strategy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, oh, and by the way, he lives on Bainbridge Island. What? Like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that I, I that I believe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and on my end, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you did a July 4th ride with Keel. Yes. And Keith. I did. So her father's physical therapist who mm. is also done work on me and Zach McDonald, who is a Bainbridge Island product and, and Keel Ryan. So Keel mentioned, hey, there's this, this, this girl, Heidi, that, that grew up on the island and she came and rode with us and, and she's pretty good. <laughs> kind of in his Keel kind of way, Yeah. right? Yeah. You never told me that. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, so he, kind of he put you on my radar oh, okay and i i want to see he might have even said yeah she's kind of looking for or was asking about coaching or i i i don't know the specifics but then you did the redmond derby days race i did yeah which i was the promoter for yeah uh and i think you did you get in the top three no i, I you did get in the money though I, I was I was like ninth or something. Okay. okay, I didn't have a great day, but I but I remember I I met you because I asked if I could wear my national champions jersey. Yes. Even though I wasn't actually the crit champion of any kind, <laughs> <laughs> but you were like, "Fuck yeah, you can wear that jersey." <laughs> so which so sounds I did. so like me. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> Looking Some. like. Back on that now, I'm like, oh my god, what was I doing? But that was also pretty cool. Yeah, so we talked a little bit there. Yeah. 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 I'm just going back trying to figure out what episode number the, the uh, Keel was on so that I could direct the listeners to that since he's been mentioned. But I'm kind of struggling to find it. We've, <laughs> we've, we've had so many episodes <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> I mean, we have actually. 144 went up the other day. Um, oh, there we go. Episode number 70, Keel Reinen. There you go. And Joe Holmes. Recorded in beautiful Park City, Utah. Yes. Um, so he talent ID'd also. He did. Yeah. <laughs> She's pretty good. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Thanks, Keel. <laughs> So, yeah, we did a bike ride. Mm-hmm. Almost the exact same bike ride we did today. Almost, yeah. Yeah. Funny enough. And so 
she, Heidi probably wasn't aware of this, but I, there was some testing going on on that bike ride. I was, uh, and it's Mark, as you've noticed, it's, it's a little bit hilly around here. Shockingly so <laughs> actually like, or surprisingly so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and kind of the, the quote unquote test was like, I knew how hard we were going, which wasn't hard, but it wasn't easy. And we talked the whole time and I could tell that, okay, she's having no problem whatsoever on this terrain and talking and I know what pace we're going. And, uh, I was like, okay, I can work with this. <laughs> like there's, there's something here that I can work with. But <laughs> that's like, this could be good. I, I felt like that on our, on our ride today. <laughs> yes. As I recall you, know. you <laughs> this is the point where I stopped talking. I, <laughs> I was getting into high zone too. And, um, and, and couldn't, you know, sing anymore at that point. So, um, yeah. <laughs> or zone two plus, which is what yeah. I like to call, you know, four or five. <laughs> Yeah, so that was what year? I don't remember. 2016. 2016. So. Yeah. Man. The, like November 2016, actually. And then the next year, guest um, road. Yeah, and then the next year, I had one more collegiate season. Um, rode for a local Seattle team called Kelly Rohrbeck and had some fun. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Again, went like went back to nationals. Um, won the time trial championship and was second in the road race. And then I won the crit. So once again, once again, became uh, Omnium champion. Um, took home some medal and then went straight to Redlands, California. Uh, yeah. where Joe had helped me get connected with the Amy D Foundation, which is a which is a women's team that operates mostly with like bringing on guest riders. So they'll okay they'll help. Um, they just help women get exposure in yeah. pro races in the U.S. And uh, you, yeah, you helped contact them and get me connected and um it's a it's a really great program because they usually have like a an experienced mentor racing for them um and then they'll yeah they'll mix it up with someone like me who is coming right out of collegiate and hasn't really raced at all um on the national level um and then maybe have a you know, two or three other girls on the team that have done a little bit. So there, there's a wide range of experience. Okay. Um, and a lot of potential for uh, learning and sharing and growing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Redlands is... Is it Redlands? Which is it? Redlands or San Dimas that has um, that? San Dimas uh, is the one that goes up uh, GMR. Okay. Uh, and, and so at that time. And that's like right at the, what would be at the end of the collegiate season. Yeah. 
Like, yeah, so it was in, over at that point. Into May, yeah. first part of June, something like that. Yeah. So Rutlands has kind of moved on the calendar a little bit. Okay. Um, so it, it at that time was, was a little bit later than normal. Um, I was able to, so I had through, it was actually, they were a host family um, for a team I was directing. Uh, this guy by the name of Sean Wilson. Uh, and Sean took on the role of uh, the technical director for Redlands. Okay. And so I reached out to Sean and was like, hey, I have a rider. She needs to go do Redlands. Is there a team that, that needs or has space for a guest rider? Uh, and so Sean, and Sean used to race professionally back in the day. Um, and um, so he said, well, yeah, Michael Engelman, who runs the Amy D Foundation team, like they need a, they need a rider. And he, he gave me a couple other options, I believe. But I knew that, like, I knew Engelman, I, I knew who he was. Uh, I'd heard good things about the program. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you want to put your, you want to put your athlete into the best situation possible. Oh, yeah. So that was, it's like, yeah. Like, so Chuck got me in touch with Mike. I talked to Mike. And then it went from there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, that was my first stage race ever. Uh, and it's, it's not exactly the easiest one either. It is not. <laughs> it's not easy. And I believe you took, you've got a shirt there. I did come back with a, with a, a shirt <laughs> that is now hanging which is, in the garage downstairs. In the downstairs. Yeah, which is a euphemism for? Um, I, like, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, Come I on, talk to me. I'm away, Came away Let's with the, the best amateur jersey. So nice. um, I believe I was like 13th overall at the end of the week. Okay. Um, yeah, and had the best general classification time of the amateurs at that race. Redlands is three days? Five. 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 Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's um... And it's it's been it's been around on the U.S. calendar for a really long time. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, and at that point, I'm gonna fill in a few on your story. Sure, but, sure. Uh, <laughs> at that point, then I reached out to um, I I know the head sport director and the general manager of uh, Rally Cycling uh, and reached out to them and was like, hey, I have this rider. You need to keep an eye on her kind of a thing. Okay. Uh, Which is code for something. Yeah. Keep an eye on her. Yeah. Like, and uh, I think that it's someone that you'd be interested in bringing into the program. And as far as like U.S. sponsors that have cycling teams, it what is rally one of the best sort of programs for a women's team? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, especially now, um, we're one of two, really one of 
two of like the top women's teams in North America that are North American based. Okay. And we're getting pretty up there in terms of like the world um, world ranking in terms in you know as far as women's teams go as okay. well. So. And the what, other, is, what is rally? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. Well, Mark. let me tell you. Um, let me say this about that. <laughs> uh, well, Rally, Rally Health is a, um, it's a company, it's a digital health company underneath the United Health Group umbrella. Okay. So along with United Healthcare. Um, Does that UH seem... The UHC team still exists? No. Okay. It does not. Um, in 2019, Rally became Rally UHC mm-hmm. Cycling. Okay. Um, we didn't. We didn't like steal the sponsorship or anything, but because uh, <laughs> um, that I think that was like a it was a whole separate thing going on. But uh, anyway, so Rally Health is sort of. I guess the best way to describe it is like the Yelp for health insurance okay, or the Yelp for like finding a doctor that's in your network and okay, you know, for whatever treatment that you need. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's my two cent pitch. um, (laughs) And you guest wrote for them also. Yeah. So I, so the same year that I did Redlands, the Cascade Cycling Classic in Bend, Oregon uh, was oh, yeah. going on, which is a fantastic race. Um, and Is or past tense? Well, kind of past tense. Sort of past tense. Yeah. It, but, it, it, but it came, it seems like it went away and then came back in away. a slightly modified form. It came back last year. Okay. And then, of course, this year just didn't didn't, didn't happen. Okay, yeah. and was it? And that used to be like a six day, or something. Five, I think it was. I think five, five again. Yeah, five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and it was a UCI race for the women, mm-hmm. and it didn't. Um, maybe correct me on my history here, but I don't think it became a UCI race for the men until uh, its last year. Um, in two thousand seventeen. I believe that's correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it was a pretty big race for women's teams. Um, yeah. And yeah, Rally had contacted me and uh, offered me a spot to guest ride there as well. And so, so when you get brought into guest ride, an organization like that that already has a, a, a team and you're coming to, do they, uh, are you assigned a role, you know, on the road as a guest rider? I mean, are you coming in to, you know, be the finisher or closer or whatever? Um, I would say for, yeah, for guest riders that come on a team, it's, you're, you're in a support role. Um, okay. You're kind of doing whatever you're asked to do. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so for me, that looked like, you know, doing a lot of breakaways, um, covering attacks, that kind of thing in the early part of the race. And then I sort of found myself being able to hang in there until the end of the race also where I could then like keep helping yeah. the people who were going to be doing the winning or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that was kind of a, 
that was a sweet surprise. I definitely surprised myself there because I, I think I was both really excited to be in that position for the first time and um, I don't know, I was kind of wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to still be there at the end must be, you know, when you maybe go, anticipate going in and just getting, like, yeah. yeah, you're going to survive for three days and then you're just kind of chewed up. But Yeah, or like, you know, have your finish line be it two hours in yeah. every day. Um, but, but I think that's also, it's definitely not how I uh, was thinking about it either. Um, being pretty inexperienced, not having like, uh, not having a lot of time spent on a full racing team mm -hmm. with specific roles and um, and the level of support like that, I was just like, okay, like let me put me in, like yeah, I'll do put me in, coach, put me in, like <laughs> I'll I'll do anything you want me to do, <laughs> um, and I'll see how long I can last every time. <laughs> so who was the director there? I don't remember. It was Zach. Was it Zach? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Zach Bell, who is our our director until this year, the end of this year. And a good enough result there that, that yeah. you, you maintained the conversation with Rally. Yeah, I'd say or they. Whatever. I think they didn't expect a guest writer to do as much as I did, <laughs> which was which was cool. Wait, you over delivered? I may Shocking. have over delivered, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, and yeah, so then that, that helped me earn a contract for the next year. Um, and at that point, I had finished at Seattle U and graduated in June. And then um, honestly, I had no idea what the hell I was going to do Did, afterwards. Do you have a useful degree from oh, Seattle U? <laughs> um, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> depends clearly, on who you talk to. Yeah. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, clearly you're not really working in whatever field that might be because kind of or maybe well a little bit a little bit i'm i'm dabbling i'm getting back into it but i i got a bachelor of fine arts in photography at seattle u um and at the end of that uh at the end of those four years i had no idea what i was going to do with that and yeah. uh but then i had this other thing that i could so try out what is a in this era what does a bfa in photography look like like what like which is it is it 100 percent digital and a and 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 a computer as your darkroom or is there some exposure to film and processing and printing from yeah. that medium well you might be pleasantly surprised to find out that i that 90 percent of what i did was all in the dark like in an actual dark in room, an actual dark room nice. working with actual black and white film and uh, i am pleasantly surprised yeah <laughs> <laughs> and well there's part hope of, there is but hope but two two different guys who live in my building i mean joe Morata, who lives in my building he was you know, uh, teaching the photography program at University of Utah for years. Um, and then there's a younger guy who's also in that department. And Joe, I mean, he's got to be like 70, 
ish now. Um, and, you know, remarks like, yeah, I still go up and use the dark room. I'm like, wait, there's a dark room <laughs> up there, <laughs> which I just assumed they were all, you know, kind yeah. of gone, but he educated me otherwise. And so I guess it's not so surprising that yeah. 90% of your work was. So they didn't really prepare you for the digital world is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, not necessarily. That that was how I chose to to make to, it. To, to, that Where you were able to choose where to place your emphasis. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it was a requirement to do like black and white one <laughs> my freshman year, which was a four hour once a week from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, at the Photographic Center Northwest, which was the really cool thing about the photo program at Seattle U was that it wasn't at Seattle U, it was actually across the street at PCNW, um, which is a totally unaffiliated photography school of its own. Okay. So, um, so my classmates were like, you know, 55 year old, like orthopedic surgeons or like, other people who just loved photography and wanted to pursue it further. Um, and I had, you know, it was like a class of eight people maximum at some times. So that's pretty good. It was pretty cool. Um, and, and yeah, we had, we had digital classes and stuff like that, but a lot of it was like visual literacy, um, where you could use digital photography or film. Okay. Um, and the more I worked with film, the more I only wanted to use it. Yeah. So. What about now? Um, like. Still the same, actually. I really only enjoy using film. But for the sake of uh, nursing the hobby back, mm -hmm. uh, I am going to purchase another digital camera because my other one broke and I haven't bothered to repair it. Ah. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think digital cameras can be repaired. I think they're just supposed to go in the landfill after they stop working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, for the, yeah, for the sake of like bringing it back a little bit more. Because you don't have access to it. I mean, you could obviously develop negatives in the kitchen, bathroom, whatever, but yeah. then after the, but to have a dark room to, to, you know, and an enlarger to print, that's, they are, I mean, I don't know. Is that it? It's an expensive, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an investment for sure. Why? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it does, does cost, uh, some money to send in my roles to get developed every once in a while. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is, uh, if I, I mean, a few years ago when I started shooting film again, um, developing it was a very strange process though because it'd like shoot the film develop the negatives then scan them <laughs> and then use my computer as the enlarger whatever and then mm -hmm. have a digital printer or send files to somebody to to do that and it it just seems unclean or impure or a mix of two mediums but how we distribute is digital anyway so it's going into that space and some it's right you know whether you're scanning a negative or scanning a print it's going and it's going on instagram at some point yeah or <laughs> or you know it's being turned into zeros and ones at some point yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah the do you do some of do you shoot a little bit 
with, I mean, let's just say you're in Europe for three months this year. Um, I was gifted two rolls of Portra 400 by Miss Emily Alexander. Excellent. And uh, that was her parting gift to me. And I happily took it and um, just actually had those roles developed last week, nice. which was great. So she's, she's helping me. Uh, She's helping me come back. She's she's enabling me. She's the yeah, enabler I, for I, sure. I, lots of enabling going on. Uh, yeah. There's lots of enabling going on. <laughs> Some of it more productive than others. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think it's all productive in one way or another. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. For I I good think good for her. Well, Emily, good on you. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, I think the first year that I started racing on rally, I didn't touch a camera um, and had this like existential, <laughs> right? It was like a, a crisis of that kind. And then also feeling guilty for not using the skills that I had been, you know, building for like that, yeah. for those four years. And then and then just like going over and having fun racing a bike for a year. And so there was, there was a time where I was trying to figure out how to use both. Yeah. Um, and still figuring that out, but, but I'm able but that, to combine be, it that, with some other, that some other figuring things. out part could go on for a little yeah, while. It could, could go on. <laughs> I don't expect it. To. I mean, Joe here, he's still trying to figure it out. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that, that sort of, you know, obviously, road cyclists require a lot of volume of training. Do could we? Is that sort of a truism, Joe Holmes? Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. Okay. Oh yeah. It's a lot of hours. Um. How in the hell did you? like keep yourself in condition not knowing if there would be a racing season this year or when and what could like because i've heard some like dire stories about you know people just rollers turbo trainer kind of like yeah, yeah i'm just locked down in my garage or living room or whatever riding indoors because i can't go outside because i mean the lockdowns in france it one point it was like never more than one if you're caught more than a thousand meters from your home you know so hopefully you live you know maybe you yeah. get a hall pass if you got to go get food or whatever yeah you get and to go spain outside and, and spain you just and sm- go outside with a grocery bag around your shoulder so that you would look like you were going to the grocery store somebody and had that told was me- your that was your like 10 minute walk <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> somebody had told me that like that people in Europe were like the dog. The dogs were the happiest creatures in Europe because they were getting walked all of the time by a lot of different people. <laughs> yeah, because they that was one of the dogs. permitted like share dogs, <laughs> like timeshare dog, which is the, the yeah. I could see that being the one to go very happy. To, oh, you're gonna take me? All right, can we go west instead of east? Because I've been out east three times today. Man. <laughs> like, I have smelled everything between here and the, the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so did you spend a, did, were you like compelled here depending i mean i know that seattle had 
semi-serious lockdown situation. It was like, but, it was a, the stay at home order. Okay. Um, and, uh, which was, I mean, there was wiggle room. Okay. Like you, you know, people could obviously still go outside and there were parks that were closed and, you know, some trails were closed at one point, but, and you, there was a big emphasis on riding alone or I remember only riding a picture with your posted or of like waving across the road to Emily or yeah. something, which was like, <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean Emily and I planned some some ride buys. Uh, okay. <laughs> and which which demonstrates the importance of of tr- you know s- true social interaction exactly with other people, which is I think what one of the things that we especially early on we were dearly missing because we all overreacted. Yeah. Um, that, you know, hey, the pandemic is going to sweep through here and decimate 50% of the population and, you know, blah, 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 or whatever. But um, it sure seems that uh, that even casual ride-by type of contact was probably fairly refreshing. Uh, I think Emily described it as disproportionate joy. Because, like, there was there was one day in particular where I'm like waving to her from the side of the road. Mm-hmm. We we did laps around Mercer Island in the opposite direction. Okay. So she went clockwise. I went counterclockwise, and both times we would run into each other and like stop where we were on each side of the road and just like have a snack <laughs> and chat. <laughs> Um, it was, and then as soon as you left, like rode away from that interaction, it was like, oh my God, I'm so happy. It was like this really disproportionate joy of like having a social interaction with your friend. It was really wild. Even at 15 yards or whatever that would be or something. But just knowing that somebody else is out there doing it also. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like ride to, to different friends' houses and just show up in their front yard and like wave out the window or text them and be like, hey, hey look out your come, door. Come, come, come to the window. Come to the window. <laughs> you might be in the middle of a meeting on Zoom no, or on whatever, Zoom. but I don't care. You should come say hi. Uh, and, and then when people started doing, you know, their crazy Eversting things or Oh right. You know oh, that. Wild adventure uh adventure rides. I there was there was one Emily planned her Vincent Massifing <laughs> ride. Okay. I, I encouraged her to pick a more realistic yeah. And we didn't like one the, of the other of seven Everest. of the seven summits, <laughs> I'd say. Is Vincent 17,000 something, right? I think, yeah, 16, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 16 17,000. Sounds about feet. right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah, think, I think... Got one guy in the room who should know that <laughs> should be me, but I don't fucking pay attention to that stuff. Jesus. I'm a metric guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's some meters. I don't know how many, but. Um, did you, So did you go into the race season with. A lot less volume. 
<laughs> funny, <laughs> funny you should ask. <laughs> um, it was more. Or did your coach uh, <clears throat> push you in the opposite direction? Um, there was no pushing, actually, okay. one way or the other. Um, in fact, it was kind of left pretty wide open. Okay. But what ended up happening was I rode my bike more than I've ever ridden in my life. Which was this, I kind of, <laughs> and, and we talked about it, the, 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 the silver lining yeah. of no bike racing meant that it wasn't race, travel, recover, race, travel, recover. It was, okay, you're here, you're here at home. There was a lot of, I think, lots of ride how you feel prescriptions. Uh, and training peaks. Um, okay. But I also knew that I was like, okay, let's let's work on, uh, let's get some volume in. Because we haven't had the opportunity for you to do that. In the past because the of, past. yeah, the race program yep and um so or at least at that time of year exactly yeah and okay. and even like heidi likes to do cyclocross so and and especially last year with nationals being here in mm -hmm. the seattle area that kind of became a, a a fun emphasis like i'll say like yeah a little fun side thing a fun side project um yeah but, and, and during the season this year, weather's gr pretty decent, which is a factor. The days are longer, a factor. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just like, all right, well, go ride a bunch because I have this feeling that this is gonna be a good thing. But like would allow her to make that next step. Okay. Um, and I think that we found out that it was pretty useful. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Volume. Imagine that. <laughs> so how percentage what, like what was maybe the general increase percentage wise over previous years? She did, was it, uh, were you eight 20 hour weeks in a row? Yeah, I did eight 20 hour weeks in a row. Yeah. 20 plus hour weeks. Which you'd never, I'd never, I don't believe you'd, you'd had ever done a 20 hour week prior to that, other than maybe I did camp. one. Yeah. I did one 20 hour week before, before <laughs> yeah. that. So, so why not do eight? Yeah, in a, a year row. before. Yeah. So, when, yeah, why not do eight? Because <laughs> yeah. you're going to be locked down for two weeks once you. Well, and that was even before, before we knew any of that was going to happen. Too. Okay. It was so basically our instruction. Uh, or our rough gu guideline was, okay, maybe end your off season, in quotes, on June 1st. <coughs> okay. And, and they told us that in March, like end of March. And we're like, okay, we have but you, three months to, to do something. Yeah. Wow. Um, so one of the cool rides you did Major Taylor. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> decided 
the day after the summer solstice to do um, a fundraiser ride for the Major Taylor Project. Okay. Uh, which is a an organization underneath the like Cascade Bicycle Club in Seattle, Puget Sound area, um, and they they provide instruct like education um outreach to um, minority communities in the puget sound area Mm -hmm. um through cycling bike maintenance okay um outdoors like after school programs and stuff like that and um so i decided to ride around the puget sound and raise some money for them uh in june and which Ended up being about 211 miles uh, with two ferries. In a day. In, a, in one day. Um, so myself, uh, my partner Wade, Emily, and our friend Ted, uh, Teddy Schwartz, <laughs> um, embarked. We started at like 5, 5.30 in the morning from my house in West Seattle. and rode south to Tacoma, rode over the Narrows. Rode up to Bremerton through, like, from Port Orchard. Mm. Met up with Joe. Met up with Logan. They proceeded to tow us. I was going to say, we, we latched <laughs> onto a couple of engines. Yeah, we found, <laughs> found some reinforcements, and they happily towed us to Hood Canal, where Logan left us, and then Joe took over and pulled us up to Port Townsend, where my parents live. Nice. And then we took the ferry over there. Had a nice lunch. Had an excellent lunch. Excellent lunch. I got in a van and drove home. I yep. had done a, I had done a vehicle shuttle the okay. night before. Nice. <laughs> so Joe drove home, and then we. Because I was like, I'm not riding 200 miles. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> so, but you're getting on a. You're not getting on a ferry in Port Townsend. You have to go to. Yeah, we took the or, Port Townsend Coopville ferry. Okay. To Whidbey Island. Okay. And then rode the southern half of Whidbey Island, got onto another ferry, uh, the you, Clinton Ferry, to had, Muckleteo. To, okay. And yeah. you had a reinforcement on Whidbey also? We had a, a reinforcement on Whidbey. Uh, my, and a planned snack stop, I think. And a planned snack stop. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ben Kaplan and Rachel Willis for providing snacks and reinforcements. And then, uh, and then Muckleteo, you just you know ride down that side. Yeah, rode south from Muckleteo back home with a fantastic tailwind. Yeah, (laughs) outstanding. It was it was outstanding. (laughs) So good. And Margo, Margo. Yeah, Margo came and joined us at the at the bottom of the (laughs) the Muckleteo ferry terminal is at the is at the bottom of a massive hill, and we made her ride down the hill to meet us at the bottom <laughs> and then ride up, which actually ended up being a big mistake because she was a lot more energetic than we were. And, oh, uh, I, I imagine being fresh. There's well, a, Margo still kind of figured some stuff. Margo likes to ride that, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of reminding her to slow down, which is great. She's a good ride buddy. But nice. Yeah, anyway. And How then, much? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, it's... Just that was going to be my question. How much did you did you did you raise? And it was oh, you know, I actually don't know because <laughs> I told people to write my email in the memo mm-hmm. so I would get like notified. Yeah. Um, 
I think like around $2,000 was okay. raised um, by people who actually put my email in the memo. Yeah. But I do know that there were others there were that maybe other, didn't. There didn't. were other donations that I heard about that may not have been factored into that total. So okay. I don't actually know what the total was. But that's a good day. Yeah, it was a good day. Her, tra her training peaks, if you look like on one of the graphs, it was like, you know, line, 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 line. Because <laughs> 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 so. that's, you know, that must have been a longer than 20 hour week. It was, I think it ended up being like 24. Oh, okay. Um, so not too bad. But the, the whole day took... Uh, it was like just 11, 11 hours, three minutes ride time uh, for 205 miles, I think. Yeah. Great. It was a great day, too. It like was Like the weather, beautiful. it was perfect. Yeah. But yeah, you were then out there for a long time just because of the ferry situation and that sort of yeah. thing, too. Left, left home at 5 or 5.30, I can't remember, and then got back at 8.30. Oh, had pizza waiting for me when I got back. It was good from a pizza mart. A pizza mart, yeah. A, a pizza mart. A pizza mart. Tandoori chicken pizza. <sighs> Not Joe's favorite. Not Joe's favorite. This was decided. Yeah. Without you being there. <laughs> yeah, we already had this discussion. That, that probably wouldn't be a, a Joe favorite. He, uh, what did you have? Date and something yesterday? Prosciutto. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so not unlike the wild boar ragu. Exactly. <laughs> With the butterflies, right? Or, it's like Billy and I say. You yeah. find a restaurant that you like, you just keep going back. Yeah. <laughs> You find something on the menu at that restaurant that you like, you just keep ordering it. <laughs> Diavola with sausage and meatballs at Stanza, I believe. Is the, AKA the meat sweats pasta. The meat sweats pasta, yeah. I don't think they call it that on the menu exactly, but you know pretty much. Yeah, yeah okay, I've been involved in this, this decision, this non-decision-making process. So... Um, so you had plenty of volume going into the season. Mm -hmm. The second season. The <laughs> yeah, season 2.0. Yeah. Season 2.0. Because you were in Europe when the lockdown started happening. Yes. And had to hastily make your way back home. Yes. In order not to get stuck there, right? Yeah. Um, it was. It's all such a blur that I on. I can't even remember like the order of, the the order of the restrictions and the travel bans and stuff like that. But I, think I had some friends who were traveling and they're just like, we have to figure out a way to get home, mm -hmm. like or we're gonna be in Europe in this fucking lockdown. Yeah. Well. So I was I was in Italy when, um, Strada Bianchi was scheduled to happen, and okay. then it went back and forth a million times whether it was happening or not happening and um finally when it was canceled we immediately left italy uh and drove to spain where we were expecting to hang out for a week 
to see how things yeah. settled. Maybe do another race that we had on the calendar in the Netherlands. Um, but then we drove halfway to Girona, woke up the next morning, and they, we were told that we were going home uh, because the EU had banned American travelers. So we, we just had to get home. Um, so even American travelers who, had all, who were already in the European Union um, were... Not necessarily, or, but it was like we're, we were really worried that the U.S. was going to respond and okay. say, okay, now no one... No tried, one in or out. No one in or out. Yeah. And and that ended up Could happening. Happen. There it was a, ended up happening in a way like was it wasn't loose, exactly that. But yeah, a few days after I got home, they then Trump was like, "Okay, no one from the EU can come into America." Yeah, I was going to say there so. was a loose cannon rolling around on the deck. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, it could have gone either way. Just yeah. like All right, everybody, stay where you are, and look directly into the sun, because <laughs> that's how the blue light gets in. Yeah. And then that's what, you know, fixes everything. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> With a bleach chaser. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, but in a way, I actually, and I, I wrote about this a little bit for Joe um, on this topic. If you want to check out. Joe's website and read it for yourself. But, but <laughs> Joe Holmes, what is that web address? That's tdlccycling.com. TDLC. Get all the C's in or you won't find it. <laughs> <laughs> now, Joe Holmes, is that behind a paywall? It is not. <laughs> Shameless plug. Shit is free, huh? <laughs> Just giving it away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to facilitate. Um, what was it? Learning, growth, and <laughs> learning, learning, sharing, sharing and, growing. and growing. Learning, sharing, and growing. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, in a way. Uh, so you had like gone through your whole sort of winter and spring workup, gone over to begin racing some of the early because Strada Bianchi is March. Yeah, beginning of March. Beginning of March. Um, had raced in Australia. Had raced in Australia. Oh, that's right. In January. Yeah. So How was that hill? How did it go? No. It, <laughs> did, did you... Which which events did you do? Because uh, there's... All I remember about that is that the hill that Richie Port always went on. Oh, yeah, on. yeah, Willunga. But yeah, yeah. That, that one hill. <laughs> that one hill, yeah. The one, the one hill. <laughs> and I have um, spent a little time in Australia and not seen, a, not, not found, discovered a ton of hills on, you know, when I've had a bicycle there. Yeah. Well, the Tour Down Under uh, is usually being like... January. Yeah. Ish. January-ish. And funny enough, the women's race actually does not race up that hill ah uh unfortunately but or maybe fortunately for us uh, okay i don't know which way it is <laughs> but uh adelaide hosts like the women's tour down under mostly and and you know much of the men's and there's actually quite a number of hills there and it's quite beautiful okay um, i've not been down that i've been around sydney and then and, and yeah. on the gold coast for a bunch uh, and then from there, we do the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race. Okay. In Geelong. Yeah. 
So which all of those races are canceled are canceled for next, for next which year. Which are all races. Yeah, yeah, they're all canceled. Yeah, I did hear that. Which is I mean, I you know, obviously nobody knows what's going to happen, but and maybe canceling them that far ahead I mean, I guess it's not that far ahead right now. I don't know when it was canceled. Maybe, maybe that does allow them to save more money than like canceling last minute when some momentum has already been initiated. Um, but it does seem like a shame just because it feels like some of these races that happened, i.e. the Tour and the Vuelta and some other one-day races... Um, without too much negative consequence. That we know of. But, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think Australia is taking a more, a much more, like, cautious... Uh, approach. Approach in that aspect. And plus, I mean, there, so. there is, there, there is, like, if you have a race in that destination, not, you know, what, maybe 10% of the peloton would be there well and everybody else would have to travel a long way yeah but and to your point of you know saving money Mm -hmm. by not canceling last minute the way that they were potentially gonna have the races go on was charter flights for every single team coming to those races put them pay for them to be in a hotel or a quarantine situation for two weeks and then start the race some days later so if you can imagine the price tag oh yeah (laughs) of that yeah um, yeah i mean like we were talking about i mentioned that a friend of mine has restarted working in the film business and he's talking about the like the enormous quantity of money that is being put into the COVID-19 sort of uh, prevention mechanisms or whatever that on this one job that's happening in Toronto right now, um, I think he said that there are 30 new, you know, 30 new employees who wouldn't normally be working there in the quote unquote COVID-19 department Mm -hmm. and everyone's getting tested all the time and and then there are obviously, you know, Ghostbuster type fumigators or whatever, like going around. I'm not totally sure what that looks like, but, um, yeah. So, so in order to continue sort of normal activity, not only work activity or creative activity or, you know, sporting activity, it's more expensive. Like yeah. if you want to maintain that level, some level of norm- normalcy, then there's a behind the scenes mitigation that is not free. Yeah. Yeah. And, and were sort of race organizations or national governing bodies within sport, um, imposing certain like testing protocols on you as athletes and, and that sort of thing. Um, the, the UCI being the international Cycling, cycling body, organization, whatever, governing yeah. body. They, um, they were the ones who put in place protocols for teams and um, race organizations. And okay, um, and requiring the teams and those race organizations to pay for it, or did they have a budget that they were 
they of... d they require they put most of the burden on race organizers and teams because they're the UCI. Because they're, they're the UCI. Because they're the UCI. Yeah. And um, there's the... a reason they're that located in Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. Um, the financial burden that race organizers were going to have to take on, like, it seemed impossible that races would actually happen yeah. because races get canceled in a non-pandemic year for not having enough money oh, to yeah. go on. And the fact that they now had, like, this other insanity to deal with was... Uh, I was really skeptical that stuff would happen, but somehow... So somehow, so out of the, the three months that you were there, how many like race days did you, were you able to actually have? And would that have been like a normal amount or was it because it seemed compressed? Yeah. Like I was kind of chuckling. It was like, oh, the tour is over. Now you have a week. Week and uh, the next uh, one. <laughs> and then there's the next big ass race that starts yeah. or whatever. Like just. Which is a huge burden on the teams. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like yeah. the staff. The riders, I mean, your roster, your roster is 11 riders for the women. Is that correct? 10. 10? Um, yeah. Our, but only like six of you? Our team this year had 10 riders. Four of them are Olympic track athletes. And so had the Olympics, well, at first, yeah. those four were off limits for the road until after the Olympics were going to happen. Um, and then to reduce their exposure, to reduce their exposure or, and just like, or try and keep them ready in case, try and keep lasts. them uninjured and, yeah. uh, you know, specialize their training a little bit more. Mm. And, um, and that, that would be, you know, put on by like USA cycling or cycling Canada okay. that didn't want so much crossover. So anyway, we had six riders to work with, which is not the greatest situation. Um, Were competitors team showing up with more people? Well, necessarily. Usually, or, or is it like a team has more wiggle room with, you know, if someone gets injured, they can replace that person yeah. with another person, and so then you come to a race with a full team. Um, whereas uh, last summer. Uh, we had enough injuries on our team that we couldn't replace. We couldn't replace people to fill in the roster, so we'd show up to a race and start with four people, and end up with three because we'd lose someone during the race. Yeah. And then it was just, it was really hard to deal with. Um, so beginning this year, uh, pre-pandemic, we were like, okay, we'll see how long no one can get injured and see if we can line up with a full roster every time um those but, injuries generally i mean just as a like insight into cycling um are these crash related injuries more often than not or is it sort of overuse it can be like doesn't can be anything yeah or someone can just get sick or someone can get sick oh, yeah yeah catch you a know. cold <laughs> wait what what <laughs> <laughs> those that happened still <laughs> i was gonna say i thought that was yeah i thought that went away with this new one yeah <laughs> um but in a in an odd in an odd way having the olympics moved it actually gave us more people to work with 
Um, and so we ended up, we still ended up going to Europe with six. Um, but we brought in um, a seventh rider to replace one for the spring classics Okay. that we ended up doing. And, and I think, to your other question, I think we ended up with like 13 race days uh, for those three months, which... It's not very much. It's not very much. Yeah. yeah but it seem is more than we actually expected to have because we ended up, due to the cost of providing tests and um, other protocols that teams had to do, a number of teams had to pull out of certain races that they were invited to, which left room for us to actually go and race them because we had enough resources to, to do 12 tests over the three months that we were, were there um, and to stay in our very tight team bubble and travel So around. basically one so, test a week. I mean, one, to, one to two okay. um, for sort of going back to like the ranking system of those races, they had protocols which required um, a test six days before and three days before for like a world tour ranked race. Okay. And then one test three days before for like a, the 2.1 race, like our dash that we did. Uh, and, and in the women's Peloton, what was the, I mean, were there some positives that that pulled racers off the, you know, out of the out of the? Uh, there, there were running? towards the end of the season in uh, September and October, uh, and I think part of that was due to the fact that European teams could have people coming and going in and out of their team yeah. bubble. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but you basically so, had your the bubble. You arrived, you made the bubble, and you that was it. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. So for 11 weeks straight, um, we traveled, lived, ate, yeah. <laughs> raced, <laughs> every, <laughs> constantly just in one pod, pod, bubble, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and had, you know, one person come in halfway through uh, and then had a couple of staff members who went back and forth between the men's team and the women's team. Mm -hmm. So there was like crossover with our rally men's team, but outside of that, there was no, uh, no other intruders. <laughs> and, and the other part of like the race days question is that these aren't races that are like, Oh, Hey, we want to do Perry Roubaix. Let's get on bikereg.com and sign up for Perry Roubaix. <laughs> right. Like it doesn't work like that. Like you have it, to be invited. Yeah. So that was the other part too. Like, wait, well, are we going to get an invite? Are we not? Yeah, we really like, didn't Like that was know. some of the uncertainty as well. And for... And, and th th those yeah. invitations come um, how far out generally? In a normal, like... Pre-pandemic, yeah, time frame, pretty far out. It can be pretty far out. Sometimes it can be a month. Okay. Um, yeah, it depends on how your team ranks. So us as a pro continental team, um, we might not get invited until after all the world tour teams are invited, and then someone's given a spot, but they don't want to take it. So then we're like next in line or something like that. So it could be somewhat last minute sometimes it can but. be yeah 
Yeah. And, and and more likely to be invited, especially in Europe, if the if if your bubble or your pod is already in Europe. I think there there was more of that this year where you know, our director could call up a race organizer and say, Hey, we really want to do this race. We're here. We have the resources and the testing and um, we can travel yeah. as a bubble. Okay. Let us do it. Yeah. Man, it's complicated right now. Yeah, it was it was a lot. And a lot of work put on the staff to the, the wood in addition to the regular work. In addition to the work they already do, which yeah. is a lot. To yeah. then have to manage, like my our team director had to do everyone's tests, you know, and her own test herself all the time, um, and then figure out the logistics of like locating the DHL office that she could get the special boxes that were certified to ship biological samples yeah. in. Getting that certification was a whole nother, a whole nother, you know, can of worms. So locating all these offices that we could ship out these tests to yeah. get them back in time. If you didn't get them back in time, you could not start the yeah. race. And so that ended up happening to some of the women's teams in September and October. If they couldn't get their results back in time or yeah, if one person tested positive, then the whole team couldn't start. And and because people were coming in and out of those European teams, mm -hmm. um, they just had more exposure. They had more exposure, and yeah. they had more COVID positives than, like, than we did, obviously, because we didn't have any. But the uh, the one other Europe, the one other non-European team that was there um, for men and women was Tibco, which is a women's a women's team from North America, and we were. Both of us, neither of us had any positive cases. Okay. Just because we had, we had to have the tight bubble the entire yeah. time. Man. Socially, that's another interesting aspect that I don't think we, A, if, it, if you haven't sort of isolated in that way, you don't notice. But B, we don't understand the, the, long-term consequences of that like what are the sort of well on top of that it's like i really need a break from seeing these same six people for three months yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, it, it, you know like i i like my teammates but i i don't like them that much <laughs> maybe not yeah but yeah it's just like you need a break yeah yeah you do yeah. you do and i think it may be the case where some you know people outside of the sport may not realize that like we aren't all best friends and we are <laughs> we are co-workers and if you can imagine what it would be like to live with your coworkers in one house for 11 weeks train i mean we could we could train on our own but yeah you know but imagine the 14 day quarantine in the UK when you're in that situation and it was you know 14 days of trainer workouts <laughs> oh yeah 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 so there's a lot, there's and a really interesting doing those dynamic. separately, I'm guessing, because 
you're not setting up two turbo trainers seven feet apart in a small room with very little air circulation. Well, at that point, I mean, we're we're like, okay, we've started the bubble now, so <laughs> so we're so we're safe, and we, we'll socialize within this bubble as yeah. long as yeah. And okay. we we ended up having a couple of you know a couple of trainers that we could use at the same time. So the the four of us that were in that house for two weeks managed to work around it. And there's you know different bedtimes, different wake up times for different people, and I like to sleep in and. My other teammates do not like to sleep in or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different, people have a lot of different methods, <laughs> ways of living. Some people do wake up early, <laughs> actually. Nice yeah. <laughs> what does it feel like for you? You I mean, you'll go into this winter treating it as if, okay, obviously you're not, going to tour down on jet, you don't need to be ready for that. So first thing on the race calendar is going to be, I mean, will there be a cyclocross season this year? No. Nothing. No. Okay. No. So first thing could be into February, early March someplace maybe. Yeah. And you just have to go into your winter training block thinking that, you know, counting on it in case it does happen, I need to be ready for it. Yeah. Like, or, yeah. Going into it, think, you know, with the attitude in your head that it is going to happen and therefore I need to actually train hard and I want to. Yeah. Well, and I think one, one of the things that I learned over this last summer and I had to forget about wrestling with the, like, is it going to happen or is it not going to happen whole thing? And Oh, yeah. I, just like, because I, I can't control that. I have, I can only control what I can control. And, <laughs> and so if I can control how much I enjoy riding my bike, then I'm going to do that Yeah. and, and get the most out of training while I do that, then I am going to do that and stop. I had to stop spending energy worrying about whether or not something was going to happen or not. Because at, at the end of the day, like it is, it is an ener energy expenditure. Like, oh yeah, stressing and worrying and you know trying to manage more than you. And can. you don't need more stress than you already have with this particular job anyway. Yeah. And that's, I mean, a, a, a thing of like. It's a training stress. You know, you get a training stress score according to the work that you do. Mm-hmm. What that score doesn't measure, you, there are no inputs for, you know, I didn't sleep that great because I was worrying about something or, you know, something's going on in my personal life or family life or, or like all of these things, which are stressors that people forget about yeah. and are, I mean, really more important than your, how long you're doing your your intervals for at what wattage yeah and yeah i mean and especially wah, with wah, regards wah. to um you know the vitality of one's immune system let's just say um so with within the race so you work with joe as a coach within the race organization obviously there are team medical people mm -hmm. we have team doctors yeah 
are they counseling you in a particular way vis-a-vis COVID and what you can do to sort of like, okay, manage your training in a certain way. So you're not doing so much intensity that you're beating your immune system down or, uh, when, um, I mean, I've heard you sort of overheard you talking about a couple different dietary practices of people that, you know, I didn't catch it all, but I'm just like, obviously someone, Apparently, it drifted back that somebody that you know needs to eat some carbohydrates. But, um, uh, which, so, however, you get that sort of dietary information or supplement information, is that being, are there things being transmitted now that, uh, let's just say, holistic interventions that might help improve the quality of your immune system from those doctors? Um, I would say it. In some teams, that may be the case. Okay. Um, the. I mean, it's certainly not happening at a government level no, because nobody's not. talking about <laughs> like, hey, all of the you know the majority of the people who have perished from this particular virus have these comorbidities. Why aren't we talking about that in about public? Because yeah. you know, which so if, if they're not talking about it. I mean, obviously not everybody's on the same page. Some people clearly just are going to do what they're going to do. Uh, um, but I would think that, you know, look, look, we've invested money in these physical assets of these different racers and we should do the maximum to help keep them healthy. Mm-hmm. And so we should explore every single fucking possibility, exclusive or excluding, you know, the bleach chaser um, to th- th- that might help the, you know, improve their the quality of their personal bubble mm-hmm. um yeah i, I guess mean, that was me just <laughs> making a statement not asking a question i'm sorry <laughs> no, no i i get what you're saying though the like for example i guess the team doctors that we have on rally um one they're all like practicing physicians mm-hmm. that you know still work in a hospital or have their own business or practice and mostly their role is to consult us and um provide provide their own opinions and 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 also you know come up with protocols team specific protocols for covid okay while we're out um i think it's more common on men's teams for there to be uh more involved team doctors and nutritionists and you know even psych like sports psych people that yeah that would sort of provide that whole you know all around quality yeah um but but yeah with you know with teams that have a lower budget like you can you can have team doctors but that's that's pretty much. But they're there for a very specific. They're there purpose. for a specific purpose, and it's kind of up maybe to maybe only you. at certain times of the season or whatever. Yeah, um, they're they're all really wonderful people, and like make their availability known to us, mm-hmm. you know, in in any capacity if okay. we need it, um, which is great. But aside from that, it's kind of up to the riders um, to you know to seek out those other things. The, the other things. Um, it seems like just from the outside and sort of, okay, peeking in at Heidi's world via social media, um, that, that, 
I mean, you were fairly strict about maintaining your health. I mean, obviously, because it's your job in in, in, in a way. Um, but, f- I mean, I just look at everything that you've described over the course of this year with travel, uh, maintaining a high level of fitness, the various exposure, you know, the amount of exposure that you've had that, that you know, You've done a really good job. Thank you. I, I mean, it just seems like you're like you're healthy. Like you didn't yeah. like because I would think that most people. I mean, they don't. You know. I mean, we've had some some people in and around nonprofit who who got it, and um, but no one is. I don't think anyone was really sure how it happened. Mm-hmm. Like our friend uh, Sam Elias, who was on the podcast um, a few episodes back. Uh, he'd got it and he was just like, man, I don't, I don't know. And I, he was being super strict about things and seemed based on the conversations that I had with him, that it, that he would have, you know, he was doing everything right and should have been pretty safe. Um, another kid, uh, got it. He know, and he was just like, yeah, I'm super strict, you know, with my exposure because I want to still be able to come to the gym. I still want to be able to do jujitsu with this small group of people who had quarantined, isolated everything and made sure that, um, and, but he lives with, uh, a family member who didn't have the same a motivation or B kind of thing. And so Mm -hmm. that's, so he was pretty certain that that's where he got it. Um, Another mutual friend of ours, you know, she was traveling. She came home um, that whole time, didn't, you know, wasn't exposed, uh, came back, got it from her partner mm-hmm. who, you know, then who knows, I guess it's, it's all come down to in a, in a way, just sort of best guess of like, yeah, I'm not going to voluntarily put myself in that situation. I mean, we're burritos and I'm like, oh, they have curbside pickup. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I get there and I call them on the phone and they bring it out. Got my hand sanitizer. I touch the thing. I set it over there. And like, but it, it really seems like you had a lot of exposure. And, 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 and then multiply that by everybody on your team plus yeah. the Swanier's doc. You know, I- anybody on the sort of infrastructure side that did, also didn't get it. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, it, it, it proves what can be done. Yeah. Albeit, okay, it's oppressive sometimes and expensive everything has a cost and everyone pays <laughs> yeah everyone pays. <laughs> yeah. i mean if they want to i mean or you just so. you know or you or you don't and then you, you yeah know, you have a ventilator with your name on it i guess well i think it to me you know after i came home and was sort of thinking about like the fact that we did what we did successfully and yeah like the magnitude of that I think one there was this really immense pressure personally that I felt that if I didn't do anything that I like could to you know prevent myself from getting it um and would then, you know, if I did get it, I would be preventing the team from lining up at a race. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and... 
Because one was, positive on the team takes the team out of play. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And in it. a way, and everyone, everyone was going to feel that pressure. Like if a staff member caught it, we were all, it was all, everyone was in the same boat. And the fact that but like, that's a really good way to look at it yeah. in, in a, in a sense, like, okay, you've, we've got a social circle of X number of people around our business, you know, organization or whatever. And I would like it to be, I would like everyone to be thinking that way. Mm-hmm. And we've been working on a, you know, a written piece of, and you know, protocols and that sort of thing that, um, uh, for the space. And, and, and one of the main things is like, Hey, whatever you expose yourself to in your personal environment away from here becomes our personal environment yeah, when you exactly. come in here exactly. and you should be thinking about that. And so it's, and, it, and it's not just like a mask is for other people, not necessarily for you, you know, okay, there's the cliche or whatever. No, but your, your behavior 24 seven affects other people. Yeah. Especially if you're interested and involved in, uh, you know, a- a- athletic activity in in some way. Yeah, exactly. Where, you, where you're going to have to be co-located with people X number of times per week for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And, and on a, for me, it was like, it was a very emotional thing where I, I knew that I couldn't bear the possibility that I would prevent someone else from racing like the tour of Flanders yeah. for the first time. Like, like these races that we were getting into were so like, were such big goals or dreams or like, we wouldn't have been able to do these races in a normal year because we weren't like ranked high enough or whatever. We weren't invited initially, but because we had the opportunity uh, during the pandemic, because other teams weren't able to be there. Like I've always, I've always wanted to race the tour of Flanders. And if I, and if I became the reason why like not, no one could mm-hmm. on our team, like I wouldn't have been able to. Oh, it would like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Emotionally, I would have like shut down. You would and, and should take that personally. Yeah. You know, in a way, if like yeah. if you were, oh, I was the weakest link, and that just screwed everybody. Or, yeah. Or I exposed myself because of some thing that you know that that, that I did that maybe I shouldn't have. And uh, yeah. And on the flip side of that too, I it was a really big. It was a process of thinking to myself, okay, yeah, like if I, if I make it so that all of us can't do this, I also have to learn and accept the fact that if someone else prevents me from being able to do this, I can't, I can't hold that person like you can't hold it against them. I can't hold it against them. It'd be hard not to in some cases it's, for sure. It would but, be hard, but, but it would also be inappropriate. It's inappropriate, and I think you know partially because of like the nature of the virus or whatever, and it's yeah. like really hard to. It's hard to control everything. You can't control everything, and so when it, like, yeah, if we if we couldn't line up to something, I I couldn't hold it against someone yeah uh, for you know like destroying a dream or something like that because yeah. like in the end like at the end of the day it's just a bike race yeah so yeah. but it's also something that we've that, you, that you've made and uh 
you've assigned, you know, important. Everybody has assigned a lot We've of importance. So you change your lives it. in order to be able to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I remember uh, something maybe that Joe had posted. Um, I don't know which race it was necessarily, but it, it, it appeared, and Joe was fairly excited about it, so I'm pretty sure I was, uh, that you didn't win a stage, but you were right there. I was pretty close to it. <laughs> About, like, five meters <laughs> close to it. <laughs> um, was, was that Ardesh, or was that a yeah, different... Yeah, it was um, stage six of... Our dash. Okay. So the penultimate day. Yeah. And for those listeners who don't know what penultimate, that doesn't mean more than ultimate. It means right before the ultimate, <laughs> the last, the final. The, anyway. anyway. So seven, seven stages. Seven in stages. In that raises, and this was stage six. On stage six, yeah. Um, I got into a breakaway, which I like to do. Okay. <laughs> Um, and she's good at doing okay. because in addition to having a good engine, she reads races really well. Huh. How'd that happen? Did you follow this old uh, guy around in some race, some local races every now and then? Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah. She's got a good <laughs> nose. I mean, she's always had a good nose for it. Okay. Thanks. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had good good mentors too i would say outstanding um so you were in in a breakaway and that was a a, a a stage where the break stayed away yeah it was uh the breakaway went maybe 10k into the race and went <laughs> i can't i can't remember i think it was like 130 kilometers of a stage so we were out for over 100 kilometers um, and at one point had like a eight minute lead. And at that How point, many people at that the... point it was like, okay, we're, we're taking this, <laughs> we're taking yeah. this home. Yeah. Um, and it was a break of six people. Okay. Um, and just be, you know, because I mean, I watched whatever, like men's pro tour races and I have this idea of like, okay, people are, it's X number of teams showing up with eight riders each, and that means the peloton is like 160, 170 people, but the women's pelotons are quite a bit, sm like, would that have been a total peloton? Like, a, if the break is six, would it have been 60 total in the peloton? No, or it was, so for women's, for women's races, it's a maximum of six people. Okay, um, and uh, per team. Per team, and at a race like Ardesh, you could have, we actually, we nicknamed that, well, I nicknamed the race as like the the national teams race because usually every year there's like 20 separate national teams that show up in addition to the 20 other like trade teams that show up. So it's actually oh. a huge field. Holy. This year, I think there were maybe 23 or 24 total teams in the race. With more have, or less six people. Yeah. On which one. Okay. Yeah, I think it was somewhere around like 120 so for six, of, six of you to get away, that's pretty. That's actually pretty significant. It seems to me. Yeah. Well, and it, it was um, it was on a day with a lot of crosswind, 
from the very beginning, a lot of exposure from the very beginning, and there were um, a number of meters of elevation gain ahead <laughs> ahead of us. Um, but so so with let's just say yeah, a big a, a day where the environmental conditions are not accommodating, and there's a huge amount of elevation gain looking ahead. Then then people who are are racing for the general classification are going to be a bit more reserved and then maybe let a break go or perhaps it yeah it depends on how the how the overall looks okay yeah Um, okay good point you know what kind of time gaps there are and stuff like that but but yeah if if the stage seems like it's not going to be quite hard enough to generate big differences in the overall mm-hmm. um but not easy enough for it to be just like a phone it in yeah phone it in or you know kind of expect like a bunch finish or something like that yeah like uh and you kind of historically look at you know if the stages are similar from like a previous from year previous yeah. iterations or, yeah yeah um you kind of look at okay well how'd it go down last year yeah or, you know what typically happens on this yeah in this region even yeah or yeah. on this stage yeah um and on that particular day uh there was a you know pretty strong crosswind to begin with but then there was like a really strong tailwind and so usually if you can get a group ahead in a tailwind it's really hard it's a lot harder to bring them back yeah yeah especially in a small break of only six people that's you have a limited amount of uh, energy available yeah and the headwind is just gonna beat you down and yeah man those tailwind days are ridiculous they though. are crazy <laughs> um and but i think one of the things that helped me uh sort of end up as like the the breakaway kind of rider mm-hmm. um or one of the things that helped me hone in that skill was my teammate chloe um had told us that you have to commit 15 minutes of really hard work. Like if you, if you're going, if your intent is to start a breakaway, be in the breakaway, you have to commit 15 minutes of really hard work Okay. to establish it and then, and then see what happens from there and assess. You so know. you have to have the, the, the physical capacity to commit those 15 minutes and then recover from them Yeah. in order to maintain it, yeah. which is, and if you know yourself well enough. Yeah. And so the way that I, that, that breakaway ended up going was it's like after, after a bunch of crosswind, riders are trying to get something going. And then if the, it's like, it's about reading it well enough to know that like, okay, this might be the rubber, like this might be what snaps the rubber band. Okay. Um, at this particular moment, after this many riders have tried, like, let's see what happens now. Um, and so uh, I wasn't the one who instigated the break, but okay. I was one of the last people to try and jump across because I was like, shit, this is it right now. So I need to be up there. <laughs> um, and then as soon as I, yeah, as soon as I got there, I was like, okay, these are the people in here they're they're in a position on their team to be able to work because either they're you know 
they didn't have, they weren't a threat as far as like the general mm -hmm. classification was, or they didn't have someone on their team who would have been. Who they were trying to help in the general class. Who they were trying to class. help. Yeah. I was like, okay, this looks really good. And I, I've gotten pretty good at like being a motivator <laughs> in the breakaway. <laughs> so, nice. uh, so if there's encouragement that someone needs to do some work, then mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to tell someone to work um, or say, hey, like we need to commit like 15 minutes of really hard work. Like, let's do it now. Nice. Um, but so uh, that you must, for, for that situation, to, to, to arrive and f see five other riders and know where they, like, like you have an, it must, you are required essentially to have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the riders on all of the other teams and what is going on in, in the race at that time. Yeah. You, like you have to I know. don't think that's something that people who watch bike racing, like, you know, they're just, um, are you getting some information fed on a radio or is it? Yeah. Yeah. There's okay. some, definitely some information, um, as far as like time gaps between, you know, people in the GC or. Right. Okay. So that's, that person is in the break with you. They're not a threat at all. If you can get them to work, you know, they've posted such and such results on similar or, or what, I mean, I don't know what it would be exactly, but. So what will happen is that yeah. you're, Thank you're you, in the caravan mm -hmm. and there's a tour radio. Yeah. And they, and they'll come on and it'll, it'll be okay. There's a break of seven riders or six riders, um, at 45 seconds. And then they'll read the numbers okay. and they'll read the numbers sequentially. And you have a grid sheet in the car that has all the numbers and the names. Yeah. And usually it's like the director and then the mechanic. So the mechanic right. is there. The mechanic will write the numbers down, yeah. find out who they are, where are they on GC, and then you go from there. Okay. And then either you communicate over a radio, if those are available, or once the gap gets to over a minute, then they allow the team cars who have riders in the break represented in the break, you're allowed to cross the gap. So then you, you cross the gap, um, which you have experienced yes, firsthand. I have. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then at that point, if there are no radios, you try to communicate, like you talk to the rider uh, in, uh, in the break at that point from the car. Yeah. But like, like you said, if there are no radios, it's on you yeah, as to a have rider that, to, have to that know on, who yeah. you're with, to know the people you're racing against. Yeah. And a lot of times actually what happens is sometimes radio tour can't get the numbers of the people in the breakaway and you and the director doesn't know who's in the break right no one not everyone in the peloton behind you can see who's gone across and so there were you know there were a number of times where i was in a break and i'm i'm saying this person this person this person this person is here with me yeah this is a like this is a good break it's like this is this is a good situation um, and oftentimes if a gap of eight minutes, the radios don't transmit that far. Yeah. If there are radios. Yeah. So you might not be getting information either. Or to Heidi's point, it might take a while to get the numbers. Um, but 
then it might take a long time for the team cars to be in an area or in a section of road where then they can pass the entire peloton because you have to do that right <laughs> yep you have to get around a number of people you got to get around <laughs> 24 teams of six riders, like yeah, one twisty, on small, very on small European Euro. twisty roads, and then you got to cross the gap. Yeah. So yeah, and oftentimes like that, it it's not like oh one minute, okay, go Cro across. Right. Like, well, and then the other thing too that's very specific to women's racing is a, a gap of eight minutes doesn't happen very often, mm. and. In women's racing, you rarely see a breakaway get more than like three minutes. It's okay. not like, it's not like men's racing in that it's kind of, it's like you check the boxes <laughs> yeah. and, and I might, and I might be a little bit like salty on it in a way that it's like, ah, oh, men's racing is so predictable because you know, you can have the break go and you're like, okay, they're going to get like seven minutes and then 10 20k from the finish it's all going to be brought back and then the bike racing starts yeah but in women's racing that rarely happens and and so you might get you know no more than two minutes all day on a stage of like a hundred and something so kilometers. when you have eight you're pretty you're just like all right this yeah must, when it gets to eight minutes it's like okay away. we we know that this is we know that we're going to the winner is going to come, come from, from this, this group. group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on the, you know, at the, at the end of that six stage in Ardèche, um, how did that play? Did all six of you, were you when all six? When did the six, knives come out? That's what he's. Yeah. <laughs> when did the knives come out? Yeah. Like, like were, were you, when you, were you no you, longer, uh, your, you and five of your new best friends? <laughs> yeah how far from the finish? like it didn't stay together as six and finish in a you know a six up sprint obviously no. or based on the picture that i saw no um so the way that the that stage ended um we had a category one climb uh which was over 11 kilometers long Sorry, I'm speaking in metric here. No, that's all right. I also just don't know. People can figure it out. Figure it out. Um, 11 kilometers long. It wasn't super steep. So uh, you could, you know, keep a pretty good pace on it. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the top of that climb, you had another 20 kilometers of pretty much all downhill to a three or four kilometer stretch of like false flat sort of downhill but exposed yeah. so there's wind and uh and it's like wide road it wasn't like the you know small twisty european okay. mountain yeah. road then a very sharp right hand turn to a chicane into a very short very steep like 1.6 kilometer climb very much like a climb you'd see around here on Bainbridge Island. Okay. Um, so as we're climbing the, you know, this really long 11K thing, I'm like, okay, this is, I feel really good. I'm nose breathing a little bit here. I'm not trying to like show my cards very much. Like I don't want to reveal the fact that I feel very good, but I'm just going to like roll through and like check out everyone else, see how everyone else is doing. 
Um, and then the way, the way I was thinking about it was there was, there was one other rider in there that I thought was climbing really well. Um, but there were six of us and I didn't want a situation to happen where we get to the bottom of this 20k descent and five different people are attacking each other and I'm having to cover five different people. Right. I wanted it to be like we get to the bottom and there's three and maybe there's, you know, one or two people are attacking, but we all kind of understand that we all want to win, so we have to like there has to be some coordination. Yeah. Uh, and so to shed some people, I just went a little bit harder on the last half of this climb, um, was on my own for a little while. And then while I was on the descent, uh, two, two of the riders caught up to me and then a fourth caught up at the bottom. And that's, and that was kind of when like a couple people went off and started attacking and I was trying not to spend trying to choose the right time to like sit back and like maybe hope that this other person is gonna get anxious and follow and do some work a lot of like cat and mouse games yeah um and and then there was one rider who went who i knew was a pretty good time trialist and who could like maintain a gap mm -hmm. but she didn't quite get enough where I was too worried that she wouldn't come back on this really short, steep climb. Okay. So, so myself and one other, one other rider, because we ended up losing one in all these like cat and mouse games, um, just had to work together, bring this person back to like six seconds, and then in this chicane, um, in this like really steep wall that we were about to you know hit, uh, it all like everything came back together. And I'm not really used to being in those situations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At the end of a bike race where I'm in the position to win. And so me in that situation, I was like, okay, I have to just go as hard as I can for 1.6 kilometers. And on that steep climb. On that steep climb. And because that's pretty much all I mentally have the strength to decide <laughs> yeah. at this point. Yeah. I don't nice. have very much. Uh, like the strategery is gone. Yeah. At that point, I was like, She's I not nose breathing anymore. I'm yeah. not nose breathing anymore whatsoever. Um, and I don't have the energy to think too much more about what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I ended up just going as hard as I could and was leading that bike race until the last five meters when the girl behind me just came around uh. and, and picked me at the line. And it was after, like, I had, I had gone really hard from the bottom and gapped her. Um, and, and as I started to uh, fade pretty, well, not pretty hard. I just started to fade halfway through. She was able to close the gap. And what I didn't do was sit up and say, okay, like, what are you going to do about it now? I just, instead, I just kept, kept your head down, kept my head down and <laughs> kept going as hard as I possibly could. So I got second. Pretty damn good result though. I mean, 
It seems. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was really sad, but also pretty happy about it. Yeah. Just because, again, I've, I'm never, I'm not in that position really often. Um, and so. It's a good good learning moment it was a great learning moment <laughs> did you do some did you do some growing i did some growing <laughs> and now she's sharing and now we're sharing, and now I'm sharing it. Yeah. <laughs> um so we were out riding today and uh there was a a point when a tire had a little less pressure in it than it should have um and that that topic came up hence the joke about you know Welcome to another episode of talking about tire pressure because you said something and I was just like, I don't know if I heard that right. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, I was riding 48 on the cobbles. Yeah. And I knew that probably wasn't miles per hour so, or even kilometers per hour, you know, anyway. Um, but speaking of tire pressure and mm-hmm. then that you had run, then you were running 50 most of the time. Yeah. Tubulars. Yeah. So we get away with lower tire pressures. Yes. Um, okay. If somebody had said that to me 10 years ago, I'd be like, that's crazy. You're right. You're racing mountain bikes <laughs> um, or something, something like that. Uh, but now I roll, I mean, my bike, I, I have barely air, air in the tires. <laughs> I mean, especially after it sits, you know, in the garage for three months, there's barely any, but Either road tubeless or on my gravel bike. I mean, they're, they're like it's stupid low, and the, and, the, and it handles way better. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned forty eight on the cobbles. Which cobbles were like? Was that Flanders? Those were Flanders cobbles. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I didn't change that. So we we were able to do the recon, a recon for Perry Roubaix. Uh huh the day after the Tour of Flanders. Which great, was, great recovery ride. Yeah. Which, which, sounds, which was awesome. Sounds awesome, yeah. It actually yeah. was really awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, just to ride that terrain, I think would be It was pretty phenomenal. Outrageous, yeah. Uh, and it was a beautiful day, which it's almost, it's like cheating a little bit, because you're, you're like, you know it's not going to be like this in the race. It's going to be freaking miserable. I but, mean, there have been additions you know, where, like, it's hot and dusty. Yeah. That'd be, that would have been O'Grady that year, right? Or Cancellara, I can't remember. But they were both, well, it's been, but it's been dry a lot. A lot more. Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. The first bike race I ever saw on, on television, the first time I ever saw bike racing in my entire life, and I don't know what it would have been, a, you know, a late 70s or early 80s, Wide World of Sports had coverage of Perry roubaix and it was like 36 degrees and precipitate, like just miserable as oh. fuck. I'm like, yeah. what? in tarnation is this ridiculous <laughs> sport these people are doing and that kind of started a, a fascination as you know a, a, a young teenager for me with with the whole sport because so i was just like that looks fucking like crazy yeah um anyway uh so whenever i see the dusty ones i'm like yeah that kind of sucks and it's probably got its own set of risks and dangers and difficulties but damn, that one year when it was like that—that's when they were hard. When when, <laughs> when Sean King Ray and Billy Ennis and I and, mm-hmm. and uh, 
Sean's wife, Laura, when we did the Belgian waffle yeah. ride. And when we hit the first gravel section, and I was like, oh my God, this is a lot of dust. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. I need, I need I to be. I have no idea where I'm going right now. <laughs> I can't see anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the second thought was, oh, I wonder how my lungs are going to be after this. <laughs> be coughing up fucking black. Yeah. 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 Um, so for... The women's edition of Flanders. Mm -hmm. How long? How many? How many k? And how much climbing? Would I was a. Uh, it was 144 kilometers, and. And the men's is two. Two. Two forty. Two thirty. It's long. It's really long. But it's shorter than Liège. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Shorter which than Milan San Remo, which yeah. is which is the longest, which is almost yeah. 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 I think Milan San Remo is like three, 305. 305 or 309 or some, some distance. Yeah. Some ludicrous But it's like, it's like fucking six hour or five hour coffee shop ride followed by like a bunch of insanity. Um, so 144K and, mm -hmm. and then you can't really, you could say a number of how much elevation gain, but that wouldn't really matter because um, going uphill on cobbles um, every foot of elevation gain is like a foot and a half of elevation gain or something. <laughs> it definitely feels like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How'd that race turn out? Oh, pretty cool. It was, which is an understatement. Um, I got to be in the breakaway once again. Um, All right. I see a pattern here. Which, All right. Which was a lot of fun. Uh, which that breakaway went from kilometer five and lasted until like 100 110 or so. So it was another, another long day off the front. Whoa. Um, How many people? There were seven and then there were five pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the really cool thing that I found was, well, again, the type of climbs that are there are quite similar to the ones that we have. Okay. And that they're pretty steep, short, like under three, four minutes. Okay. And yeah, we like to call that, they're just punchy. So, so it hit your... Punchy. So it, it felt familiar. Familiar, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, again, like... There were no spectators, which was pretty weird. But the like enormity of the race was like you could still very you could still feel that. Mm -hmm. And even the day before, we were staying in Udenard uh, for like two weeks beforehand, and so we got to ride a bunch of the race course, like do a lot of recon. Mm -hmm spend a lot of time there, get to know the roads really well, which like you have to, you it's have super, to do that. Super key in a race like that. Like, yeah. Cause it's very, it's, I mean, a lot of those roads are very narrow, right? Well that, and they're, you just need to know when the, when like the selection points are, like yeah, where, uh, when okay. the cobbles yeah. are yeah. or yeah. know that when it's, you know, okay. And 
5k from now we're gonna make a right hand turn and the wind's and gonna be it, in this direction yeah. or, or okay. and yeah. then we're gonna go into this particular climb like it's stuff like that and and then and, i would also think that you might you'd be setting up your bike a bit differently a little bit for the cobbles yeah not not a ton um i mean obviously i, I raced at a slightly lower pressure yeah. than <laughs> than 52 psi yeah. less um but for me i i feel that like mm -hmm. i can i can feel two psi different oh, okay um and and if it makes a cobble section slightly smoother then that's totally worth it definitely worth it yeah and then double wrap on the bars or no, Not. we didn't for Flanders, but okay. we had planned on doing that for Roubaix. Okay. Among with, you know, like taping hands and stuff like that. But um, not a whole lot different for Flanders. Um, what else? So the break came back to you after be, like five of you being away on your own. Yeah. For a certain amount of time, did you get more than the two minutes that would be normal, as you said, in a women's we, race? Or? We got out. Yeah, we got out to four, four or five minutes. Okay. Which was pretty solid. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, at that point in time, it was our last race. Uh, I was flying home two days later. The week before that started to feel really like, like I'd hit a point at the beginning in the middle of a week where I was, it was just this weird lull, like, okay, <laughs> there is one more thing left to do while I'm here. I'm really tired. Mentally, I really like, I kind of want to be done. My body feels really tired, but I have to convince myself that I have more left to do this one really really big thing that i've looked forward to doing for a really long time yeah um so the the lead into flanders was was pretty up and down um but the like the day before i was riding around and it was like all misty it was noon but it felt like it was like 7 a.m and there was this like quiet energy and anticipation everywhere and I was like whoa this is like it feels like Christmas Eve right now <laughs> and nice. and even though there were no you know there are not supposed to be any spectators you just you had people out and about oh, like yeah. you could tell that like stuff was happening people were excited people were like it's a freaking holiday mm -hmm. um and and then I was like oh shit I get to race the Tour of Flanders tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Damn. It was, yeah, it was a pretty cool feeling. And. And you got this. And I got spend to 100K spend 100K in the break. Front. In the breakaway. Um, kind of doing the thing that I really like to do yeah. <laughs> in bike races. So that was, that was the day after Belgian Waffle Ride. Ah, and and I was on the early program. Yeah, because the Belgian waffle ride started at seven thirty. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> normally, no offense, Heidi, I don't get up and watch bike racing in the morning. <laughs> I know, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, okay, I think we got up at 
probably five for so who had, did flow bikes have coverage flow bike uh, or how do you watch it mm-hmm. yeah it was flow bikes okay yeah yeah so i got up and so i can king, go back and watch it because it's archived yeah nice so i got up and the king rays were watching the giro the stage of the giro oh, yeah and i looked at him i'm like flanders is today like, what are you doing <laughs> what is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and oh by the way Heidi's racing right now. <laughs> so, so King was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah. like, we switched it over and the coverage comes on and I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And that's free advertising because it's a French feed and the breakaway. Okay. Oh, yep. Yeah. That's what you see on the TV, Tete de la Course. Yeah. I'm like, this is amazing <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> Tete de la Course being the name, obviously, of your website and, or, uh, t- yeah. Yeah. More T-T-T-T-L-C, so the fact that you actually woke up early and watched a bike race. That's, that's like act more amazing. <laughs> and shocking. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So yeah, that was pretty rad. Came back together and then Yeah, it came back together and uh but it, it So thirty K or something from the finish. Yeah. Um and And then did you did you have enough left to sort of stick in with the Peloton that's for that's, a little bit actually. Nice. Um Yeah, we the the Peloton caught us on the Tienberg, uh, which was a column climb. Mm-hmm. And I hung in, chased, you know, had to like chase back a little bit because it was strung out. But then when I got back, um, we had two riders left. We had Chloe and my teammate Lily left in the peloton. And we, we had hoped that we could help the two of them save enough energy to like be there, to be yeah. there in the end. Yeah. And, and, in that moment when I was coming back, uh, our director was on the radio saying, hey, Lily, you need to go now. Like, you need to try something. Because there was, I, you could tell, like, there was a lull in the race where people were kind of looking at each other, like, okay, the break just came back. Like, who's going to go and do something? Um, so Lily tries, doesn't doesn't quite go anywhere. And then I'm like, chasing back and like watching all this happen. And then uh, I kind of like get over to the, to the right side of the Peloton. Everyone else moved left. And I was like, oh, I'll go again. <laughs> so, and I was like, well, maybe I'm, I'm gonna oh, go, fantastic. I'm gonna die. But uh, you know, if it at the very least helps set something else up. Yeah. Uh, and keeps it moving because then there's less time for people to look at each other and less time for something weird to happen. Yeah. Um, then sure. Like that'll be good. So I went again without actually knowing that there were two people who in, in the span of like three minutes (laughs) when I was chasing back to when I caught the back of the Peloton, like two people had gone up the road. Um, but still, people were looking at each other, and there was no one chasing or motivated yeah. to chase. So, so I decided to go again, and I was I was off again for like five 
another four or five minutes. Uh, and in the end, like the two that had escaped, you know, came back again and so okay. things got reshuffled. But it was, it was pretty fun to be able to like look around and see who was left and be like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm with these people. <laughs> <laughs> with like 30k left it, to go in one of the biggest in, races on the calendar in like the biggest race yeah in the world yeah yeah so i'm gonna i want to share something okay since we're sharing sure will i be able to learn and grow from it maybe okay so the the text i got uh sunday october 18th on whatsapp <laughs> that delivered to me at 9 35 Cedar City's time. Okay. Well, damn. Laughing emoji. That was epic. <laughs> no. Scratch that. That was a fucking dream come true kind of day. And I'm just super relieved too. First, that this insane season is finally over. But also that I got to end it like that. So... That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And a black heart emoji. And a black heart emoji. Because uh, that's... Because, yeah. You can't do anything else. No, you, you can't. It's a blue heart. I mean, who knows what the fuck that means? <laughs> <laughs> or green or any of the other available colors. I don't know. Black and red. The two options. That's almost three hours. Wow. Whew. If my math is not faulty, that's pretty cool. And it seems like, you know, end of the season, it's kind of a nice way to end the conversation. Um, Joe, thank you for hosting. Thank you for, uh, thanks for coming out to uh, Washington. <laughs> Thanks for taking me on a bike ride today. Thanks for taking me on a bike ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks Heidi, for thank you for being here. I look forward to whenever this happens again. Likewise. I mean, or you come down again to the nonprofit event center. <laughs> where <laughs> That was actually a pretty cool thing. Was it, uh, not September. It was September 2019. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. That uh, there was a good gathering of people. Yeah, that there. was a good gathering. I'm trying to think of them all. <laughs> Emily, Emily Alexander. Emily was there. Karen was there. Yeah. Heidi. Blair visited for a day. Um, and then the usual suspects, I guess. <laughs> the usual. <group. laughs> the usual suspects. <laughs> Joe, Turk <laughs> again. Joe again. Joe again. Turk <laughs> Berkey was out. Yeah, that was a, that was a really good one. Yeah. And 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 Luke and Samin were there. Delila, D was there. Yeah. Sparkle made an appearance. Oh, she did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she did. <laughs> she was very puppy-like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can do that again, except that Sparkle now weighs three times what she did in <laughs> September of 2019, I think. Holy shit. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome.
um we're done yeah sweet